Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? It's January 20th, 2023, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 535. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Klepek. Just cleaning the vomit off my fingers, but I'm here. Don't don't you worry, I'm here. And uh, Renata Price. Hello and hi and howdy and hello. Uh, Welcome to <laughs> Fucked Vibes Friday, everybody. Uh, Patrick <laughs> kicked us off early, but the the whole show's gonna be like that. It start yeah, it started bad when uh, I was uh, woken up ahead of my alarm at six twenty. He's like, I need your help. It's like nobody. Nobody asks for good help at 6.20 in the morning. Nothing at 6.20 in the morning when someone says, I need your help, is ever good. If there's not Mm-mm. presence at the door, like, ooh, who's there? There are goodies, like, for us to delight in. <laughs> Instead, it's just my poor wife's like, I was laying with our daughter, and then she just did an exorcist on me. And I'm like, okay. He's got to be. Cl- I was like, uh, "Do you need a hose? Like, what do I you know?" And it's like, I Sorry. don't know. Is this a like Katie is standing by the bed talking to you, or are these text messages coming in? No, she like, can't. I she need- can't. She's holding a. She is holding a. I don't want to be too descriptive. She's holding yeah. a child that has experienced uh, an event, right. and that event has surrounded <laughs> an event. Okay, uh, herself and uh, the bed. The child is crying. She's like. I I'm not sure what the next step is, but I knew it was to come get you. And I was in the other room because I knew that our youngest was going to be sleeping with her. And that's just too many people in the bed at once. So I was sleeping in the we put a, I was in the bunk bed in my in my oldest room in which we we put the better mattress on the above part because she's scared to sleep up there. And that's where I sleep. So I took the better mattress because I'm old. But I told her the better mattress is down there for her because of course that's what i would do for my kid i would give you the better thing i didn't i took the better mattress from my back um, wow smart that's, that's where I well and you're just not gonna vomit on that so like no so far, I have not. so far i have not i have not gotta keep gotta eat something clean in this in this house but it does feel like vomit is spraying everywhere in the video game industry at the moment so i feel like that is is a a nice warm-up for yeah. where mm. we're not just video games just tech you know it's not like it's quarterly statements, right? Like, I don't really... Is this like a, a Friday news dump? Somebody says time for layoffs and everyone else goes, all right, like, let's well, do it too. There are still, like, they are still doing investor calls right now. So, like, this is this is the time of year where you're doing investor investor signaling uh, for, for sure. I was going to say, like, the investors, like, the, that's the thing that, like, drives me up a fucking wall about all of this is that, like, 
the, the cruelty is the point, right? It, it is proving that you can be maximally efficient in running your business. Uh, and a really good way to prove that you're maximally efficient is to just ruin a bunch of people's lives uh, the, to the, appease the 30 most evil people in the world. The the, the Microsoft layoffs, which were, you know, 10,000. Uh, I think the Amazon ones were 18,000. Yeah. Right? So um, and but yeah, just as a small note, they were right before the, those those uh, the 10,000 uh, layoffs went out. Uh, some like executives were at a part like a private party where uh, Sting was singing to them, which is just. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's a grim week, like literally minutes before we went to record. Uh, we saw also many of our colleagues and friends posting about layoffs at Giant Bomb and GameSpot. We are still mostly in the dark about what has happened there. Uh, it like is they got sold to fandom. That's that's I believe that's yeah. what happened. <laughs> but, uh, and but, that's, I mean, fandom seems to have a, a, a long history of not treating its acquisitions uh, particularly well. Um, but but also that is what happens when you get acquired. It is not big company at least in our business like it's not big company saying i want this asset it's like well i want like part of this asset and then i want to get rid of the other things i don't like um you know of course we are hoping everyone gets decent terms for their exit and finds a better gig soon but as you pointed out patrick like the sheer number of job losses that have been in the sector lately you know we can wish for that it's hard to imagine it given the the number of cuts uh there have been just across the uh, just across our corner of the industry and how many people are now looking for opportunities uh, versus how many opportunities have been eliminated. Uh, yeah, you want, the, you want that stuff to be spread months. out. You never want it to happen, yeah. but given the grim world we live in, it will happen. And what's happened in the last, especially in games media in the last six months has just been a steady drumbeat of quality people losing their jobs. And there are just not enough. I'm seeing lots of people lose their jobs and then, when they're announcing new things they're doing, it's certainly not in the line of work that they were in before, whether by choice or by circumstance. Um, and some people just kind of leave the industry entirely because it's just it's not it's sustainable for very it was already sustainable for a very small circle of people. And then that circle is getting smaller <clears throat> and the ways in which you make that money is getting stranger. Look at waypointplus.com a great way of supporting waypoint as it tries to muddle its way through a series of confusing business models uh and yeah and then as you alluded to patrick we have the fact that the large-scale layoffs uh we started to see in the tech sector last year escalated yesterday as microsoft amazon and riot each made cuts to their own workforces uh particularly hard hit by all accounts was halo developer 343 uh, where the layoffs pointed uh, triggered pointed criticism from series and 343 alumni. I think one quote I saw going around a lot came from uh, a designer of multiplayer on Halo Infinite, Patrick Wren, uh, who's now at Respawn, uh, saying that the layoffs at 343 shouldn't have happened and Halo Infinite should be in a better state. The reason for both of those things is incompetent leadership up top during Halo Infinite development, causing massive stress on those working hard to make Halo the best it can be. Uh, 343 seems to be where the clearest picture of the layoffs has emerged. We know there were other layoffs within the Zenimax side of the Microsoft games portfolio, but I'm not sure we know the extent of the extent of them or where the cuts were targeted. Uh, likewise, we know that Riot conducted a sizable layoff by Riot standards, which historically hasn't cut a lot of full-time staff and 
do note how contractors don't really get counted in layoff news and how you can mm-hmm. avoid uh, talking about layoffs or declines in business if the losses are, are hitting contractors and not full-timers. Uh, but again, it's not really clear if there was one project or department that got especially hard hit. And yeah, stepping back a bit from the game side of this, this weekend for the last few months have been a bloodbath for big tech workers in general. The Microsoft Games layoffs were part of a layoff, larger layoff of yeah, 10,000 workers uh, with an emphasis on the many and varied hardware, hardware units that Microsoft operates. Uh, Amazon has apparently announced 18,000 people are being laid off uh, with a lot of those cuts concentrated in their worldwide stores, part of the conglomerate, uh, which covers most of the Amazon retail and brick and mortar operations. Uh, they also shut down their charitable organization, Amazon Smile, which diverted a share of sales through the Smile program to charities. Uh, which makes for quite a literal mask off moment for the firm branding. Uh, Obviously, (laughs) (laughs) they shut down smile. Uh, Obviously, our thoughts and sympathies are with those who are laid off. And I am not sure what kind of severance has been extended to all those folks. I do know that Amazon cited some uh, very generous packages that they were offering in their announcement. But the devil is always in the details uh, when it comes to uh, those stories like, not everyone gets the first class layoff deals that companies often allude to uh, right. in the announcements for these, you know, where it's two months, uh, two months full pay and benefits and then a larger, a larger severance deal. Uh, but I am curious as we look at these layoffs this week, uh, whether this feels like a sign of underlying weakness in the games industry that could mean we are in for lots more uh, days and weeks like this coming at other publishers. I don't know. Uh, you know, the games industry, broadly speaking, had a a, a downturn as the is maybe uh, overplaying what occurred. But, you know, games as an industry broadly benefited from COVID uh, because of the isolated nature. Um, you know, there was a lot of hiring happening. Games were being sold at higher rates um, than ever before, specifically because it was a very attractive way to spend the time um while in isolation and even as as we emerge in different ways from that, it, re- it remained an industry that uh, was exceedingly popular during this period. And so what's always hard to tell is there, there is almost certainly like, you know, and in the case of like an Amazon, there was over hiring, right? Like to compensate for everybody buying packages delivered to their to their house. Um, how much of that is understandable slimmings of a company expanding during an extraordinary moment in human history? How much of that is, uh, while this is a convenient time to do a lot of cutting, um, that we can blame on X, Y, Z. And so it's difficult to, like in in Microsoft's case, square, well, hey, we really need to spend $70 billion, uh, excuse me, $69 billion on acquiring Activision Blizzard. uh, But we also need to lay off, you know, however many people in our games division. Um, You know, it's... Granted, those are, you know, you can't always connect a straight line between those those things. And that doesn't tell the whole story, especially in these large corporations. But it is certainly something to look at how much time, effort and money is being spent on pushing through a deal like that, while at the same time, they don't have their own house in order. And especially with 343, that really does feel like a studio that from the inception never really knew what it was has been given multiple chances to reinvent itself. And I really doubt that it's because of, you know, the lighting artist that has been laid off <laughs> that always wanted to work on Halo. That falls at the feet of leadership 
not being able to corral that project and and Halo for quite a period of time into something worthy of the name itself. The thing that gets me is that, like, I don't even know if it matters if businesses are profitable or not, because, like, even when businesses, well, it, it matters insofar as, like, it gets worse when they aren't, but and and more likely when they aren't. But, like, plenty of businesses are extremely profitable and still see these layoffs because the core of it is that it's about the theater of efficiency, right? It doesn't matter if you are making profit. It matters if you are making the most profit. And even more than that, it matters if you have investors who believe that you are going to be making the most profit. And so it's just, if you can maintain the theater of efficiency, if you can sell someone a good enough business model over and over again, you can just cycle through ruining people's lives to prove that like, your business is theoretically successful enough to be worth existing to, you know, a, a handful of people. Yeah, it's, um, you know, as, as you pointed out, there there is that the other day, Patrick and I were talking on the sports podcast about like how the thing that is so lopsided in football, especially it's true to a degree in a lot of sports, but in football, especially is a place where the risk is entirely loaded up on the workers uh, by design. And I don't just mean the physical risk, uh, you know, of, of harm of playing the game, but also just the like every time a player is injured, right? That is a spot in the lineup that gets opened up and will be filled by someone else. And like the monetary hit that that takes place there so that teams can like fill that fill that gap uh, hits the player who was hurt and not the team uh, n- nearly as much. And like written more largely, that is how a lot of the employment landscape works right now, which is that companies like can make their moves. They can take their risks. They can uh, seek out their acquisitions. And if they hit any, and yes, it doesn't even necessarily need to be, they, they, they go aground on the shoals, right. And they're in real trouble. It can just be, they hit turbulence and, Rather than have that turbulence affect uh, necessarily like their investors, what they will do instead is, okay, things are not panning out quite as well as we had hoped, so we are going to cut headcount. I think it's like because Microsoft, their whole thing uh, was revenue was up, but profits were down. They're a nearly $2 trillion company, and thus that's your explanation for having to cut corners um, on on them, uh, you know, as they're putting billions of dollars into a chat AI as well. Yeah. And it's just that, like, the, the thing to keep in mind that I think is, like, easy to forget when you're a person who doesn't deal with money on this scale and who does not think about, like, I don't go about my day thinking about how investments work, right? Like, that's that's not something I spend my time doing. And just the infuriating thing is that You know, the concern is not that the business is losing money for investors. It is that they will get slightly less in returns year to year, right? You may, you got, you know, 60 million in returns last year. What if this year I only get, you know, 58 and, you know, that extra 2 million of difference is channeled into people. Uh, And it's just like, to me, a completely fucking alien way of thinking uh, and is fundamentally repugnant. I think. You also, I think one thing you do see happening, and and this is where I think this is maybe not necessarily as mappable to the broader games industry, you know, like 
Microsoft is doing a lot of layoffs, not in the games division as mm-hmm. well. And I think when you look at a lot of these, uh, like if you look at the Meta and Microsoft layoffs, for instance, like like in this case, I'm calling them Meta because in some ways it's that pivot that accounted for why there had to be those layoffs, uh, which is that you you did have tech companies doing more R and D type skunkworks type stuff, uh, trying to, uh, like reestablish the company along like slightly different lines. Uh, and when that hasn't panned out in a lot of cases, those teams take a beating. So you have, you have Facebook, uh, with sort of a moribund, uh, you know, core business model and then really expensive, uh, unappetizing boondoggles uh, that have, that have burned through a ton of their, uh, a ton of their cash on hand uh, that, you know, as the, as the losses have sort of mounted when it came time to be called to account for that, it took the shape of a, a lot of layoffs. And I don't know if Facebook is deemphasizing uh, sort of the, the plans for the, the meta portfolio of, of uh, like VR and, and metaverse shit. Uh, but Microsoft as well, you know, in a lot of the coverage on this has is also targeting a lot of their uh, hardware, hardware units and hardware is always kind of one of the tough, tougher things for companies like this to turn a profit on to to sort of launch successfully. And so in some ways, a lot of these layoffs feel like workers paying the cost for perhaps ill considered uh, expansions. In into other lines of business, I think it's expansions, but also it's like you know complete shifts in business model, right? Like there are companies who will you know still theoretically be employing the same people, just pivoting them to a completely different end. Like I'm thinking that like you know to uh, use a, a recent example of a company pivoting its strategy. Uh, or beginning to pivot its strategy. You know, Wizards of the Coast is shifting D&D from one thing into a platform that they hope to monetize at every step, right? And so in that process, if that fails, all of that hits, like, the people who are there. And, like, the shifting of the business model, even if it's not even, like, entering new markets, just, like, any of these ill-advised shifts are going to ruin people's lives. Well, it's, it's interesting. I contrast all of this is a company that equally is adrift but has not responded to that in mass layoffs is is Ubisoft, right? This is a company that appears broadly incapable of shipping video games uh, these days uh, and has an internal culture that, you know, has been reported on a number of times to be incredibly toxic with like just awful leadership up and down um, the executive line, the management line. And the company is like, they're doing these massive pivots, right? To these assassin, like Assassin's Creed as a service game, like Far Cry as a service game. Like they're, they, I think I saw a headline this week that they had at one point twelve different battle royale games in development, which is 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 showing exactly kind of what Ren is talking about, in which you have a company saying this is the shit. Like we need to be making, we make an, one of these, all only one has to hit, and that can be our Fortnite, and that's cool. So we're gonna spend thousands, tens of thousands of employees making these different battle royale uh, experiments um, that, you know, maybe die in the vine internally. Um, you know, they, uh, and, and there's been no consequence for any of this company sort of becoming an awful place to work. Like it's still the same family uh, running this company. None of them have been forced out of their leadership positions. They sent out an email. Uh, this is due to a bunch of uh, really good 
uh, Kotaku reporting in the past uh, week or so that initially, as they were talking about some of the shifts they were doing, I believe the phrase that was used uh, by Eves Gimmel was that uh, the ball is now, it was not the ball is not in your court, but it's like, this is now in your hands. Like, like this shit sandwich that we made is now in your hands to fix. Um, and then, and then since there was a, like a staff wide company wide Q and a, and they were like, Hey, about that. And he was like, yeah, yeah, pro- yeah, probably shouldn't. Yeah, probably, probably shouldn't have said that. That was a bad, bad turn of phrase. And so it's interesting to see that company shuffling people around and not doing mass layoffs as different initiatives don't work out. But, and I'm not necessarily trying to like laud them for that. In some ways, it's it's good that people, if they want to stick around, the company will find them something else to do. I think Ubisoft is also the company that famously has, like, the business, or if they still have it or don't, like, where you're in between projects. Oh, the, the warehouse of employees. The warehouse uh, of employees where, that are in between. Which is a really getting, smart idea. It, yeah. it is. I, I mean, and, and that's, not, like, that is what most of these companies don't have, is like, hey, you're valuable. We don't know where you can be valuable right now, but we'd rather keep you on the payroll, give you something to do before we find the thing to actually assign you to. And Ubisoft was doing that for the way they built games. But now as that all kind of like falls apart amongst a bunch of weird pivots and, you know, sort of exposés on the like toxic culture that the company has at its management level, it just leaves the company in a, in a, in a, in a totally different weird space um, in one in which they should like should have if they were doing traditional things laid off a bunch of people. But instead, so, it's just a bunch of angry people still at the company, although I they are bleeding talent how much hand that- over fist. I do wonder how much that is also like I do not know how employment law works in Quebec. Like I don't know if like Quebec is like mini France as far as Ubisoft goes. They're also but partially unionized that, like, like in um, I think it's like the French unit was I got an email from them. Right. But I'm just saying like there are national strike. employment laws uh, in yeah, France yeah, 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 yeah. that you sure. cannot do what Microsoft is doing where it's that like, might be right. That might uh, be right. There's 10,000 people here who have jobs today and it would be a lot better for us if <laughs> tomorrow they did not have jobs. Yeah. I don't think you can just do that in France. It's also worth noting note, noting that like the entire Quebec games industry is 100% subsidized by, right. not 100%, but like significantly subsidized by the city of Montreal. And so like if you fuck with anything and those subsidies go away, like the, the company is not just risking losing a bunch of talent from those subsidies going away. It is like risking losing foundational backing to its business model. Well, uh, and also like just the subsidies themselves mean that like the employees in those locations don't count against your bottom line nearly as much as they would otherwise. So if like you're looking right. for places to, you know, to make savings that is not necessarily top of the list because yes, like to, to your, to your other point, uh, despite all these layoffs, and this is kind of the weird thing is like, the prediction has been we're entering a recession, uh, you know, this year. But at the same time, it's been predicted for a bit. I was going to say that There's, I feel like that's been happening since the beginning of last year. It's like, the, right. hey, inflation but, is here. The recession is around the corner. And inflation was definitely here. Inflation is not entirely gone, but it's certainly not what it was no. a year ago, especially at the gas pump and, and although eggs. Oh, boy. I think eggs, well, eggs are a problem. Flow. I know. I know. But, um, but I mean, just broadly, you know, as it's moved between different categories of things. Um, but it does feel like the mentality amongst the executive classes. Well, no, the recession is here. We need like, you know, and is it is it is it be, is it to be again? It's that question of is it being used as an excuse because it's an easy talking point to make? Look at this fucked up economy. 
we got to do something about it. When it, when you look at actually at it, at it holistically, I mean, yeah, it's been rough because like COVID was a once in a lifetime event and everything got weird for a couple of years, but doesn't necessarily justify the moves that are being made at a number of companies. Yeah, it is. It is. It is the theater of fear. Like, oh, we are. Out, it, I don't know. It, it's all theater. Like at this point, a bunch of businesses are the goal is to. The, the business itself, right, the idea of the business becomes a product that you are trying to sell to a handful of people. And so nothing else matters but the business as product, which is why I think like a ton of places, you know, surprisingly survive management changes, right? Like the, there is a degree to which like, you know, publications being handed from, you know, uh, owners to owners to owners, right? The whole point is that the previous owners managed to make a good enough pitch on the product of the business and then did some blood spilling to prove that, you know, mm-hmm. it was meaningful. Um, and it just goes ad infinitum uh, as, you know, if one product fails, uh, just change what the product is and, you know, keep the same name of the business because you get that <laughs> brand cache. And the Facebook ones are actually, I mean, I, obviously, I, I'm not trying to minimize the enormous like loss of, of Josh from many people, but like it's, I can't, you can't help but chuckle at it because everyone that has money invested in like what, what you were talking about, um, Ren, this like theater of, of, of a company, of a product of what it's selling. Everyone wants Facebook to just go back to doing what it was, but because one guy owns a majority of the company, nobody can tell him what to do. And so he's basically like, if someone chose, we're going to go, we're going to go down the shitty path. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. All the investor class is like, no, 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 stay. Just, you have a golden goose. It's a little rotten. It's not as good as it was, but like, it's still a golden goose. And like, let's keep, let's keep squeezing that one. And instead he's like, no, like the metaverse. Um, And so it's not even a, he's putting the middle finger to this like chattering class of investors that would like the company to continue on its, on its previous path. Well, and yet you have a single misguided dipshit of an individual saying i'd like to do something else and if you, and in some ways that would be enviable because it is in many ways kind of what we're asking for is like we'll do do something that you want to do with the company rather than just servicing the theater of the economy and and the investors and and watching the, the number tick up on a nasdaq but of course it's that that then's the credence to a complete monster who runs a company called facebook You can be rich, stupid, and evil. Like, I, I, I fully believe that, like, Zuckerberg 100% believes that his theory of the metaverse will become infinitely profitable. And, like, one wrong guy versus a bunch of investors is just one really big investor versus a bunch of other investors, you know? Like, I think that the end goals are the same for all of them. It's just that one of them has convinced himself that he's the tech messiah and can make and can spin straw from, sorry, spin gold from straw. I think there's a there there's a bit of that, but I I do think as well there's always the component of this that is uh you know there's the infinite appetite for growth, which is that you know it, it, you know Facebook had a very successful business, yes, invading people's privacy uh and marketing <laughs> All directly to them uh to it to huge huge audiences it has on its respective platforms, but there was the question of like well what are you going to do that's like new and novel where's your where's your growth strategy because at a certain point this thing starts to look saturated and you're not seeing as much uh like acquisition uh of of new users and apparently like that's also on a generational uh 
front where like younger people are not necessarily signing up to Facebook and Instagram Facebook. Uh, the way uh, like boomers and millennials did. So like you have that unfolding. So I do think there ends up being this pressure of like, okay, well I need to create a, a rabbit here, right? And pull mm-hmm. rabbit out of the hat. And uh, you know, to that point about it being a way to market your company and tell a story, it, you know, it's got to seem like a big splashy idea. And so you end up with this, you know, asinine pitch for a, a really ill-conceived uh, decades after its time, uh, like second life knockoff, which is, you know, being held up as this is, this is what's going to dominate the future. And check this out. You ever seen a teleconference with, with, uh, <laughs> with little Wii characters? Uh, that's, that's now, do their of, feet work? No, but we're thinking about it. Look, look at this cool platform we made that we can infinitely monetize, theoretically, if anyone uses it and doesn't just immediately go to any other alternative. Uh, right. And and so that's like, I think that's uh, uh, definitely another part of this where I think Facebook kind of gets itself in trouble because they can't just say, look, we got, we got a flock of golden geese. What do you want A bunch us? of old people There's, that are never yeah. going to leave this platform. Can't that just be enough? Yeah. Like you want, you want more golden geese? Sorry. This is how big the flock is. And yes, some of them are going to die with generational turnover, but like here it is. And that will like disproportionately hurt your stock price. Right. Even though the core value is okay. The same way that like Tesla blew up, despite there being no good reason to think that as a car company, they should be valued anywhere near that highly. Right. I mean, this Uh, is the, yeah, uh, this is the end goal of the economic system, right? This is like, this is the fundamental problem is that once you build your economic system around geometric growth, this is kind of the inevitable result is that the moment you commit to geometric growth, then you are going to destroy either, but both like material, right? You're going to like wipe out rainforests. You're going to do irrevocable damage to the environment, but also like the pursuit of geometric growth is going to fundamentally destroy your business model if you if you try and follow that to its logical conclusion. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the pursuit of like geometric growth is certainly more of a feature of like Silicon Valley stuff. I think like a lot of these companies they are they are seeking uh, you know pretty not I don't want to say reasonable, but they do they do want to see like steady steady uh, predictable. You, yeah, like like annual gains when there's not a when there's not a path to guaranteeing that they they start to preemptively panic. I, I do think as well there's a bit of uh like with 343 for instance like that one strikes me what's happening there and you know who knows how it's going to pan out in the future. But it, that specifically feels like there's also a lot of uncertainty at Microsoft about like what to do with parts of their games portfolio, but their entire first Halo. part, their entire approach to first party for the past yeah, decade. This, I mean, this, this company has shown a complete inability post Xbox 360 to just be normal and make games and ship them. Um, and even as they go on these, this acquisition sprees, they're, you know, look at undead labs, right? You know, Hey, we're just not going to touch that. Well, <laughs> that turned to rot. Well, the studios that they do touch and they do, you know, the initiative, Boy, like <laughs> haven't heard a lot of great things going on over there as they work on Perfect Dark. I, it's just a company I do brought like 
it really feels like they stumbled into this game. Like, oh, man, thank God we came up with that Game Pass idea. Because if we were forced to completely rely on the fact that we had to make games and publish them, people would suddenly realize we weren't capable of doing it five years ago. We haven't done a lot to change that except spend a lot of money buying a lot of companies. And we got Pentiment out of it, which is a great game. And I'm glad that Pentiment exists, (laughs) maybe because of that acquisition. But... If that's all you were able to squeeze out of billions of dollars and so many years, I mean, it really suggests that Phil, I'm sorry, Phil Spencer's T-shirts were not the savior. It's like competent people that can understand how to drive a vision for a hardware platform beyond uh, we'll just write a bunch of checks to put games on a sub subscription service, which is novel, but does not you know, eventually those games are going to run out. The the thing that really gets me about 343 in particular is that as someone who likes the Halo games, and in fact, likes the modern Halo games, and I am aware that like I'm a little freak for this, but like 4, 5, and Infinite uh, are widely derided, uh, usually for reasons that, at least in the Halo community, right? Like people have problems with 4 story, warranted, whatever. In the Halo community, they're derided for things that specifically emerge from their monetization schemes. And, and the ways in which those games are, like, structured. And, and the infuriating th- thing to look at with 343 is that, like, all of those games are good. In terms of, like, mechanically, they all play great. Uh, I think narratively, they're fine. Uh, they're, they're fine to good. Um, but the thing that keeps fucking the studio over, over and over and over again, was really, really ill-conceived business model after ill-conceived business model, which, like, that doesn't generally come from devs. Maybe maybe it comes from a an, an executive level developer, but like the teams making the games are not being like let's let's come up with the worst monetization scheme fucking possible and turn this into a platform, right? It is Microsoft trying to infinitely monetize and then you know ruining that team. I mean, not even it's not even even just how they monetize it, but it was an executive level decision to show that game in an awful state as right. part of the flagship. Here is what the future of Xbox is. Who wants to buy a Series X and then like a crudely modeled ape character model becomes a fucking meme. Anybody with a reasonable like would have looked at that footage and said, hey, I don't think this is going to go over well. I think this is going to cause a backlash and really become like a focal point discussion of our own incompetence and just kind of an exclamation mark on our inability to just make games and that comes at that level and trickles down it's not the it's not the lighting team or the modeler's fault that the, all that stuff doesn't doesn't look good that is because someone chose to say this is fine and also we're going to ship this game in time for launch and then that game well, got delayed a full I want to go back to that word you used by the way uh flagship because I do think something's happened with Halo is that it should be their flagship this should be like a crown jewel like level uh franchise but it has ended up being treated like a cash cow. And those are two kind of different things. Like when a business becomes a cash cow, it's like you're no longer really investing that much in it. You are just extracting value from it until the thing fucking dies. Uh, but that ends up like that ends up being how you handle that part of the business. But there is there is value from maintaining a premier brand uh, that you sort of elevate above a, a lot of the others. And Halo, weirdly enough, has... I, I, it does not feel like it is being treated necessarily like that prestige flagship thing. Instead, it feels like frequently it is being used to brace parts of the Xbox Xbox value proposition, like just as a box and as a whole where it's like, well, we need a halo. 
but it doesn't necessarily feel like these are events the way they used to be. It does not necessarily feel like, uh, you know, there's Patrick, I'm sure this is a story near and dear to your heart, but uh, like the CEO of Costco, right, is renowned for being <laughs> just an uh, animal when it yeah. comes to people talking you, about changing you the tell price the hot of the fucking story? hot dog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where people are like, we got We really need to. We really need to increase the price of the hot dog, and it's like, no, find another way. He was. Yeah, think, he, he was like not really running the company anymore, but still was able to step in and say no to things because of probably a shareholder sort of a thing. It's worth googling this story. It's from years and years and years ago. But essentially, it was like, look, we could really squeeze a lot of profit by just increasing this by a dollar. Like people are buying a shitload of these hot dogs, and he said, no. The reason people come is because the hot dogs are good and they're dirt cheap. Shut the fuck up and keep the price the same regardless of inflation. Didn't he <laughs> or say what you could exploit? Didn't he say if you touch the price I'll fucking, fucking kill, kill you? you? I believe Something that is I believe like that. that is a direct quote. Is, is he self If not it was it was you. certainly the it, like the the temperament of the, See, of the quote. Abusive language in the workplace is not cool. You shouldn't talk to people that way. But if it's like an NBA <laughs> suit who's fucking with your life's work, uh then like weapons free. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, but I, but I do think there's the founder of Costco told the CEO who wanted to raise the prices on Costco's hot dog, "If you raise the effing hot dog, I will kill you. Figure it out." <laughs> <laughs> and you know he has enough money to do it. Like that's that's the thing. Is it like if someone with that he's much made money so much says, money and saved so much you, money? Yeah. If that motherfucker says I will kill you, he's got to die. Also, guy. to be clear. This is not just a dollar fifty hot dog. This is a dollar fifty combo meal of a hot dog and a soda. Like that God shit. Damn. <laughs> what? For Wait, I'm going to Costco. Right? <laughs> Hang on. That's, that's my new. Uh, I'm living the Costco diet. <laughs> I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm going to Costco so I can get a soda. I'll, I will give someone else my hot dog. <laughs> Holy shit. That's cheaper than the bodega. Are you fucking yeah, kidding yeah. me? We'll get see. A one, oh, get a $150 God. soda anywhere else but in New York City. I a Doritos is $2. A Doritos is $2. <laughs> yeah, at least, Are you kidding me? At least. $1.50? <laughs> I wish so, I could get into this uh, Fortune.com article. Um, I don't. I'll see if I can find somewhere else. But I just want to read this headline. Sam's Club. Launches a price war with Costco over hot dogs. I bet they're, I bet they're gonna fucking lose. Oh my god! <laughs> Club hot dogs, Costco. There's got to be some other. I can't say. believe the co- like. I gotta believe the price of that Costco dog has gone up though. Like it's just like every input has gone. It up. It has not. Price. This is from November sixteenth, twenty twenty two. This is from a, a today today show today dot com article. Um, you may have lived through the chicken sandwich wars of yesteryear, where fast food chains tried to outdo each other with poultry placed between. Two buns. Though that cluck-based conflict, oh my God, uh, has now mostly died down. Uh, although, you know what? If I had to write these articles, I'd be reaching would, yeah. for creative writing me? as well. Who's a new cluck fight has emerged, and this time it's over hot dogs. On November 15th uh, of last year, uh, Sam's Club announced it had lowered the price of its hot dog and soda combo from $1.50 to $1.38. Walmart, the owner of Sam's Club, which I constantly forget, revealed right. the change during a third quarter earnings, earnings call. Quote, the members' dollars are going further at Sam's Club, too. We're also making the everyday shopping trip better by lowering the price of the cafe hot dog combo by nearly 10% to $1.38, said Walmart CEO Doug McMillan to investors during the call. Around the world, our teams have this type of mindset. I start to get worried at a certain point as to what they're putting in the hot dogs because it's all it's already bad it's they can make it worse we don't think about what's in a hot dog (laughs) one yeah you don't think about what's in a hot dog two like 
again, this goes to this goes to the point of like things cost way less than you think they do yeah, for business. This is the real thing. Right? For people, for people, things are very expensive. For businesses, things are do not cost that much money. Like that, I bet that is a Refilling reasonable dollar soda, soda machine things with the syrup. That shit is dirt cheap. I'm sure they're still making margins on that shit, right? That is, but like when I mean like the hot dog, like the fact that like the price of everything in agriculture has gone up, like like it's surely it's a loss leader. Like, but but I do love story to tell. Like, I mean, it's it's been locked since the mid '80s, is what this piece also notes, and so yeah. I mean, this is also just an easy headline for Sam's Club, right? It's like, oh, we're making like. Why did they pick? But I don't think I don't think how did they arrive at a dollar thirty-eight? I want to know. Waltons don't have that hot dog in them. You know, I, like, yeah, exactly. Right. I don't think they have the first. will. I don't <laughs> think they have the will to go the distance with Costco. Rob, Rob stealing an all-time NFL Twitter meme to just fly it to a hot dog Costco. <laughs> so the Waltons won't kill the hot dog. The person raising the price of the hot dog, they'll kill someone else. But like the hot dog, the hot dog guy is is fine. So yeah. that price is gonna go up. Uh, but. But I think, like when I when I look when I, going back to Halo, like I do think there is there is value sometimes that is hard to perceive on a balance sheet of like mm-hmm. when you make clear that like this is like that the quality and like fit, final fit and finish are the things that you hold above all else for like these products, right? Like there's like I mean honestly, I compare this a little bit to. Gran Turismo 7 is a ridiculous product. They have given Polyphony such free reign to do whatever for like they sat out a console generation. Like it they, feels they, prestige, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it feels yeah. important. It feels uh like you can feel the unnecessary spending, right? Because it's like, well, we respect what's being built here. And that's actually Sony's whole pitch with all of their stuff it's a reason why there's not a days gone too is not because that game was <laughs> awful although i don't think it was good but it is because it did not achieve like sony doesn't hit doubles like they want everything to feel like a grand slam mm-hmm. and they need their games to achieve that level of import and uh like gran turismo gran turismo, gran turismo is a lost leader like that is i can't imagine they have made a profit on that series but it's it's important. It feels important. It looks expensive. And that's what they're selling. Like that is that is a lot of their pitch. And I just don't know that you can describe like increasingly it feels like with Xbox is like you you're buying Game Pass. You're not buying an Xbox. You don't care what Microsoft makes. Maybe a Microsoft branded game shows up on Game Pass. But when you see like the PlayStation logo, that means something to people like that represents something. I don't know that the Xbox logo the microsoft logo means anything i think game pass does but i think game pass at this point maybe has surpassed you know that is what they're selling and that's unsustainable because that is also a lost leader that at some point is going to get reined in i'm curious just going around the room for everyone here when is the last time that it felt like halo was a massive like games industry event like this was a market calendar type type release when's the last time that a halo game felt like it was uh, it was the flagship, like pulling it into the harbor. I don't mean I don't right? necessarily mean whether the, the game the is fight. great. Finish the fight. Finish the fight was like in the stratosphere. Yeah. Yes. It was, and it was, and it was headed down. Reach was, you know, still a big deal. But yeah. I think it was very clear at that point that 
that was Bungie finishing <laughs> their own fight <laughs> with that franchise. Yep. And three was it. Three was like, you know, two was where people were standing in line at midnight. Like I did that, you know, like my college dorm going nuts. And and three had those incredible trailers and commercials. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And three felt like that was where then the series should have gone to rest for a good five years and then come back, you know, reinvented in a way that they did with like Sony kind of did with God of War. Um, Ren, I'm curious from your perspective because you come at you come at Halo differently generationally than us. Right. Uh, the the thing is for me that like uh, Infinite is significantly less than Halo Three, of course, but w- without a doubt, right? And also, like for context, I was not paying attention to Xbox games uh, in 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, Halo Three is eventually in Halo ODST is eventually why I I get an Xbox. Uh, but I mean. I think that there was a portion of people for whom Infinite was supposed to be that. I agree. And, they and, they and, pitched and, it that way. It felt like they, they were trying to, to give it the gravitas of like Halo is back and it's right. important and we're going to make you feel it's important. I, I agree with you that, that, that that's what they were going for, at least. Uh, that's what they were going for. And like the first the first week of that game, uh, of or at least of like the beta, right? When they when they when Microsoft goes and you can play the multiplayer right now. People did lose their shit, right? There was a portion of people, like maybe not in our particular circles, but like I lost my shit a little bit. I was fucking mm-hmm. thrilled. I could play Halo right now. Are you kidding me on my PC? Are you fucking joking me? And so like, you know, it could have been that. Uh, and then it wasn't. I, I don't think that four landed with that weight. I don't think that five landed that with that weight. And I think that's in part because so much of the brand identity became tied to Bungie and not Microsoft, right? Like people liked Halo and people liked Bungie because if Bungie was really good at one thing while they were the stewards of Halo, it was, you know, one, making those games and two, communication, right? Like Bungie courted a community and that community was like, okay, Bungie and Halo are fundamentally inseparable from one another. And then Bungie leaves to go make Destiny, and uh, the you know a lot of leadership stays behind to Helm three four three. But like, in a way, the studio identity and the brand identity were were so tied together that I think that Microsoft did lose it when they lost Bungie. I would I would probably agree with that. For me, I think the last time, like I I remember there being a lot of hype around Halo Four. To 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 be honest, like I do remember it being like all right, like future of Halo, new chapter, like uh, a lot of things are going to start getting paid off here, right? Mm-hmm. Like we know that like there's going to be a, a Cortana turn uh, yeah. that, that, that's that's in play. But it ends up not playing out in part because like, yeah, the game's, the game's a bit more divisive. And also I do think it, Halo gets mired a little bit in this identity crisis around change developers and also mm-hmm. like what does it mean to be a Halo game but I do think like Halo Infinite like everything about that for for all the 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 marketing effort and such there was so many there were so many signs that it was kind of being like figured out as we go and by god we're going to hit some deadlines because they are deadlines and they are important and we j- we just have to go with the game we have right now and so that that to me is like one of the things they've really they've really cost themselves with is this is this feeling that now Halo has gone from being like a revered part of the Xbox lineup to uh, it's our it's our leading it's our lead shooter maybe uh, next to Gears of War but maybe not even uh, that but it's you know it's an important franchise but 
Uh, you know, it'll be done when we when we need it to be done. And the other thing that I think really sort of salts the earth a little bit here is you are breaking a bit of trust with your community now as Halo Infinite is being pulled together and like they're setting they're mm-hmm. they're charting a positive roadmap for that game. Hey, and for, then Forge launched this, and appears to be beloved and was like made yeah. with a lot of care and and is excellent in the way that Forge has been excellent in the past and now it's like good thank you for all your hard work now stand over by that wall and by the way the studio head is being promoted out uh so we will we'll we'll see what that means and so i think that there's there's another element of this which is which is also that even as they begin to pull it together you know if you're someone who's bought in on that you i think it does raise questions of like how firm is microsoft's commitment into seeing this through and (laughs) if it didn't end on a resolution it is just a giant cliffhanger for a bunch of other stuff there's a sequel like the the, their idea was to release an expansion for that a narrative expansion for that game and like they have been radio silent on that i Uh, i i feel like that's that's never i mean i I feel like there will be another halo game and i wouldn't be i'm sure it will pick up where infinite left off, but the idea that it, there's just going to be campaign DLC strikes yeah. me as extremely uh, unlikely. This was their pitch with Halo Infinite as a platform. They were trying to literally do the Destiny thing in mm-hmm. terms of like the platform live service business model, and like we're going to release expansions for the game. And instead of doing that, they released something half finished that they then had to spend all of the time that they could have spent doing the live service thing, trying to patch a sinking ship so they could eventually start a live service business model. Well, look at the Master Chief collection. The best thing 343 did over the last decade was release a completely broken, like, (laughs) uh, homage to the Halo series, and then spend quite literally a decade fixing it and now they're still they're still updating and it's awesome i've heard by all accounts it is like one of the coolest like is a great dedication to the halo franchise but that thing came out and did not work and i don't think 343 actually developed right i think that was like external studios broadly did a lot of the the work but they're they were associated with it they were they are the brand and like stewards for halo 343 was you know looking over that project and then what it's best known for is well, a uh, compilation turned into a service product, and we are just going to keep patching this bad boy till it gets good. And it's awesome now, but that took a long, long time to get there. And, and this is part of the thing with, like, uh, Microsoft's, ins- like, not insane, but, like, extremely foolish approach to those games being like, well, let's try a different monetization model every fucking time. Let's keep going back to the drawing board. Like, you know, to use Halo Reach as an example, Halo Reach was, like, had a pretty beloved progression system. Uh, the armor purchasing system in Halo Reach was, like, really, really well-loved. And, like, the biggest discourse in, like, the Halo community around Reach's re-release in the Master Chief Collection was people being like, they fucked up the armor customization. Like, they made it into, they, they tried to unify the progression model. And the idea was that they wanted people to come in. They think, right, someone thought in a boardroom thinks that when people go to play Halo, they want to open up a playlist that says, I want to play Halo. Give me a randomly switching between all of these games and let this progression model be connected. And like, no one fucking plays like that. Are you kidding me? People were playing Halo 2 until they shut the servers off. People want to play the game that they like from that series, not jump from game to game with a unified progression model. It is the most disorienting part of that. It's the most disorienting part of the Master Chief Collection is like when you go into the main menu and it's this chaos of like, 
which face of Halo do you wish to play? But by the way, everything's integrated behind the scenes. And so like it, it all sort of networks together. And it's like, no, I just actually just want to go through the door into like the old Mario collection. I just want to go in through this menu option, then go play this game uh, until I've, until I've had my fill, but it does like, it's a bit of like corporate characters destiny, right? I'm sure this makes a ton of sense. If you're like frame of reference is people pay a hundred dollars for office every year. <laughs> so we'll just yeah. we'll turn you know open up Halo Halo uh, 2001 Halo 2005 uh, you know that we'll just we'll just bundle them all together and the meantime you have uh, you know the the funny thing is we do it like not overthinking it in the way that like uh, Zuckerberg has in the way that Microsoft has kind of done with with Halo uh, Activision still charges you the full fare every year for those fucking games. Right. They have no shame about like, here's our boring old business model where here's a game you buy for $70 every year, but also now it attaches to an ongoing platform. And so we 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 hit on both axes. I also think that it's it's worth it. We're talking about the difference between Microsoft and Sony in terms of like, you know, the Sony brand, right? The PlayStation logo means something and Xbox, and Xbox, the Xbox logo kind of doesn't for a lot of people. One of the things that I, I checked, it's kind of ridiculous to realize how much bigger Microsoft is by Sony than Sony. Oh, yeah. On like a, on like a corporation size level, it is tr- triple the size, quadruple the size. If you look at their stock, like their stock yep. options, right? Microsoft is triple what Sony is. And so like the PlayStation matters way fucking more to yep. Sony than the Xbox does to Microsoft, right? And so... The theater of we can make an efficient business is so much like tighter for the Xbox team than it is for the folks over at PlayStation. And, and you know, that is a massive difference between those two companies. Yeah, it's um, I don't know, it like so much of this does feel like it is uh, <laughs> haphazard and sort of thoughtless direction in the tech industry, uh, like catching uh parts of parts of the games industry uh here i do kind of wonder whether or not we see other companies now uh making their own cutbacks for some of the same reasons where they're saying like oh you know things have changed since uh the peak of like covid lockdown and people like sort of sheltering in place and such and uh you know the the industry is is not where it was but i would i would also in keeping with that whole like we've been saying we're we're probably heading into recession for months and months, it would also not surprise me if like fundamentally the the terrain hasn't really shifted as far as the games industry has gone. This is mostly about overextended tech companies or tech companies that feel overextended uh, when they face their investors, uh, like putting on a dog and pony show and a commitment to delivering that value. Right. And I also think that like part of the, the thing with like, when I look at, some of the decisions that feel inexplicable on like a massive corporation level. It is the fact that like companies aren't just trying to appease the idea of investors writ large. Sometimes they are trying to appease a specific group of people, right? Like if you look at Microsoft's um, like shareholders, right? Uh, there is a, someone who uh, the Vanguard group owns 8.1% uh, of Microsoft's shares. That is a large enough percentage where like, at some point, you have to make decisions that are designed to cater to that 8.1%, right? And so, like, that's why nothing feels consistent, is that these decisions aren't being made for the same people. Like, there's not an objective class of business person who 
has a strategy. You're trying to play to different groups with different strategies. Sort of. The, the you, funny right? thing about like holders like Vanguard, though, is like talk about the scale of Microsoft. Vanguard doesn't give a shit about their holding in Microsoft. Like that's the other weird thing is like Vanguard scale mm-hmm. is such that like that's also a small part of their of, of their right. overall portfolio. And so you do end up with these weird like they are an important shareholder, but not necessarily the one that's going to be the most reactive to those like mm. earnings reports because uh, mm-hmm. like huge institutional investors like that are making like they're playing the roulette table by stacking up chips on like a shitload of numbers. Right. Uh, whereas there are going to be investors who are like, you know, more, more activist. Uh, mm-hmm. But there is a, there is a larger in the market in general throughout COVID. I think something else that's happened in the background and we see this a little bit with the airlines and this is from my, my, my last point on this. Then we go to break, you know, we've seen tons of reports about how, you know, just as risk is loaded up on the employee side, the rewards go directly to the investors. And I then think right. that's the other part is even beyond what is going to be on Microsoft's like quarterly reports or or statements of intent to their investors, there is going to be the uh aspect of you attracting capital that is looking at other options, not just in terms of like how the valuation of the company will be affected. But are we likely to get goodies, right? This is why so many companies did stock buybacks uh, to sort of like that is directly like cash in the hands of those investors. Turn in your shares. Now, now it's just money uh, yeah. in your hands. Or you'll see like uh, fights to make sure that dividends uh, stay high for investors. And I think that's that's another part of this as well is that you are in competition not with other games companies or even tech companies to an extent – you're in competition with just like the market writ large mm-hmm. for attracting uh, attracting capital. And one of the ways you're going to do that is by making clear that like, yes, we here here are the rewards we will heap upon you uh, if you, you know, if, if, you, if you buy into us. Uh, we're a more attractive destination for your money. Right. Uh, uh, we... we- I I I figured out how we could find out about the Kirkland signature hot dog, which, by the way, one of the reasons they can keep those hot dogs cheap, they just make them themselves. So it's, you're specifically getting a Kirkland signature manufactured hot dog. I would expect nothing less. One of the plants is in Los Angeles. The second plant that they opened up is in Chicago. Patrick. Patrick. We need you to visit I the factory. I can go to the source. You can go All to right. the source. source. You can Patrick, figure out what's in the hot to... dogs. Patrick, you want to look at some awful... <laughs> You need oh. to get your black turtleneck. Uh, You've already your got Sam Fisher already got goggles. The, no, yeah. I'll just show up with my sweatshirt. Just hey, put your sweatshirt on and just walk in like you. You're supposed. Yeah, yeah, I'm just starting my shift. Oh, I'm What's just up? showing my corporate spirit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can I, can I see your awful? <laughs> can I see? Can I see the awful balance sheets? <laughs> hey, we all love rat shit, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by the way, Kato, I do appreciate that uh, in the in this conversation, you made sure that uh, you you checked out the Snopes fact check for yeah. did the Costco founder <laughs> actually say what's uh, I will kill you? And the answer is yes. What's funny is that I just is, searched I will kill you Costco hot dogs, and this is the first thing that came up. So I guess a lot of people were wondering if that was true, and it was <laughs> beautiful. Uh, all right on on that on that note, we will take a break and then back after this to talk about some games. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, so I I have been playing uh, Sailing Era, a game by uh, GY Games. It is a lot yeah. like JRP aesthetic uh, Sid Meier's Pirates. That and sounds awesome. It sounds Pirates. awesome. I wish it were awesome. Uh, mm. Like, and I am, and y'all know I am predisposed to love a game about the tall ships. Yeah. And the age yes. of fighting sail. I'm That's, all about that. You're predisposed to a lot of things. I wear I, I wear I wear a Kirkland signature sweatshirt. Rob wears a sweatshirt that actually said what he, just that. Like I am predisposed. predisposed. <laughs> <laughs> One of those algorithmically generated sweaters that just has a bunch of like word vomit on them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I am predisposed from those clouds you get on the side of a website that shows you how many times a words are you words. Oh man, I miss word clouds in blogs. We oh. like that that was that was great. Where it was like you can just check what does what does this blogger never shut the fuck up about. <laughs> Uh, so sailing Tall era. Ships. That's what that's what this blog never shuts the fuck up about. <laughs> Big letters, impact font. I love tall ships, and I'm just gonna get gonna get that printed for Rob. Would you wear it? I love tall ships. I love my ships big and tall. <laughs> Rob, one of those t-shirts is like, I love my wife and <laughs> big tall ships going through the water quick. I love the wet, wet sea. So, uh-huh. in keeping with that, so Sailing Era is a very maximalist game, I would say. It is, do you want to just like build a trade empire and carry cargo from port to port, uh, delivering places from source destinations to final uh, to their final markets at a, at a huge markup? You can play it that way. Uh, like, the map is huge. It, it it seems to be like the map of the world's oceans, uh, effectively. Like you can just keep sailing, uh, and you will you will take goods uh, around the world. Uh, you will like when you go out to sea, you're you got a little top down perspective uh, on, on your little sailing ship, and you control it with the uh, this. I can't imagine playing this with a keyboard is is good. Uh, it's not amazing with with controller, but yeah, you just kind of steer the ship around, and there's you see the the air currents, the wind blowing across the ocean, and you know you you sort of set yourself uh, set your sails before the wind, and there's there's some trade winds that will carry you fast. There's other places that are hard to get to because like the wind patterns uh, are not in your favor, and so you move very slowly. But and this is the thing: this is also a game where there is a ton of friction at every turn. And, you know, again, I'm predisposed to love friction too. Rob loves the supply chain. What, what could be going wrong? 
uh, it's all a little bit too much and it's all a little bit too constraining. And ultimately none of it feels like there's a lot in this game. And yet there's not a single part of it that I would say feels like a great deal of fun. Can I date uh, this hot guy that yeah, wants, I was gonna to, say. wants to fix my shit though? No. Do you no? like any of the haughty pirates? Like are any of the pirates Wait. he robs like, oh, look, at, look at that. I mean, the look Steam at, description at, says yeah. I can have a romantic encounter in the tavern. Can I? Please? Um, To be determined, I <laughs> maybe you could. I would say that... You're not spending your time doing that? You're too busy getting no, your goods from one port to no. the next? No. So in some ports there are there are yes there are named characters you meet uh who are who are cuties and so far the ones I've met are serving wenches maybe courtesans mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you build up affinity with them by drinking with them mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. a heart fills up slowly mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. and that seems to be where that mechanic is going. They give you little quests and such, but it does feel it is like maximally transactional, like dating game wow. where it's like buy enough drinks for this girl at work and like maybe it'll turn into something. You don't even you don't even get to unpack the the pirate, the hot pirates trauma. I'm sure all of these hot pirates have so much trauma you could unpack as part of a as part of a building relationship. There maybe, but I haven't gotten a whole lot of that. Uh, the story proceeds very, very slowly. And the other thing they've done uh, that's kind of interesting is you have four different characters you can choose from at the start, each in a completely different part of the world. So you can start as like uh, a Portuguese adventurer. Uh, you can start as an Arab pearl diver who is betrayed by pirates uh, oh, and his yeah. entire like village is slaughtered. And so he's on a revenge quest. Uh, you can play as uh, like the the sign of a Japanese shipbuilding firm, uh, and his his desire to to bring the family to greatness uh, through through shipbuilding. And each of those will be in a different starting location, obviously, and they'll run in different characters who were who were sort of there at the start. And uh, so there's different there's very different like versions of this game you can kind of play within it, but. The thing that kind of sucks is that at every turn, the game's kind of putting ankle weights around you. So, like, one example is as you sail around, you steadily run out of supply. Uh, mm-hmm. your, your your ship stores go down and such. But it happens so fast that no sooner have you kind of put to sea than you're like, well, I need to be finding, like, the next, uh, like, way station to drop in, restock on food. And uh, then I can continue on my voyage. And so this is a game where, like, you are constantly dropping out of like the stuff that is like cooler and more fun to go into like basically these menu screens that Patrick Patrick showed us and do a ton of like upkeep. It is like driving a car that has a one like a one gallon gas tank and then you have to keep like stopping to refill it. But also while you're there to talk to the mechanic for like five minutes and check out like the poster board where people were like put, posting band announcements and such. Uh, and also at the same time, uh, you know, maybe you, you, you chat up the person at the register. And so it's, it's just like constant, like busy work in menus mm-hmm. that you were doing that gets in the way of the, the more fun parts of the game. And then the runway to get this thing rolling 
is so long. Uh, it is, it feels like they are parceling out plot events and like major upgrades for like your, your, your fleet at such a stingy pace uh, that like, you could I, I like for a while I was playing it and I was sort of telling myself like yeah it feels like this game's about to get pretty cool like I'm gonna keep playing I'm not having fun right now and I haven't had fun in the last couple hours but like it feels like there's a fun game here and like probably in like another hour it's gonna be pretty cool and it just this keeps is, not happening <laughs> it's not a midnight sun situation where you're you no. play a full game and then the game the game opens up no and and you get you get stuff that. It feels important, and then it just turns out to be really annoying. Like, an early quest is, you know you can have an entire fleet with you, so you have your AI buddies sailing their own ships behind you to work with you in the ship-to-ship combat. And you're like, awesome, I'm going to buy my buddy a ship, and we're going to go into, like, sailboat battles together. Mm -hmm. And then, because he's an AI skipper, and he sucks at the game, he immediately gets his ship sunk. And I was like, Okay, I'll bet that's just like for this fight, but I'll bet after the fight goes, I'll get the ship back because like they wouldn't have me invest like half my capital in a ship <laughs> no. that my AI buddy no, they got destroyed that. in the first like 10 seconds of fight. They you got insurance, have... right? There was like an insurance button like uh, AI, ins- AI insurance. Uh, well, <laughs> you you know, this this feels like the sort of game where you might have like weird uh, insurance models and arbitrage type stuff happening. But no. That money just gone. It was like, well, sorry about that. He's just like, he can be your lookout again because you can't afford to buy another ship. But also at that point, you've learned a lesson. Uh, There is no point in buying these guys ships until you have enough money and you have unlocked more advanced ships. uh, Because otherwise, like the, the starter ships are just way too squishy. And the way you do all that is by pouring tons of resources into like your favorite ports. You run. How long does this game expect you to be playing it? Is kind of my is kind of my question for you. Um, until the sun fades and expands and consumes the earth. Do you mean the loop or like the, to finish the game? I, I, I think I mean both, right? Because it sounds like the loop is finished. Like the game finishes and then the loop begins. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm guessing this game is like an 80, 100 hour experience. It's, I mean, it's yeah, got a JRPG stylings. I mean, this does not seem <laughs> this is meant to be a a, not, right. a a lifestyle, not a hobby. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I was curious about. And it is the other the other thing is it like, it, you know, its rewards are kind of like people like leveling up. So we'll make mm. sure you level up all the fucking time. Oh, yeah. What do those levels mean? Ding. Nothing. Nothing like you go you go go out and you do like two things you go back to the cafe which is where you level up and it's like okay you completed one mission uh you want to put 20 levels on this guy right now and it's like from that one mission like I have 20 levels worth of XP it's like yeah yeah you do it's like that doesn't feel right but okay but you kind of have to because like that's how you're going to surmount the the power curve but then of course like none of it feels that significant you're like well all these numbers went up what does that mean? My ship still feels like shit. Uh, everything is still is still kind of obnoxious, but sure, we'll 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 keep going. So the profit, like the currency to experience ratio, feels completely off. It uh, wild. Well, in some ways, yes. It's more like 
you discover that the the currency is just really devalued, right? It's like, what is the level worth in this game? Not that much. Uh, so what is the XP worth? Even less. So we're going to like give you loads of it. Because uh, it's they like fun to see point. the number go up. But it doesn't really translate into like, oh, how do I deploy these resources? Because it doesn't feel like how you deploy them really matters. You're not given that much control over it for a long time. I think that minting a trillion dollar coin would really improve this pirate game because mm. it, it would it was it would help revalue the currency and also pirates <laughs> could be fighting over the trillion dollar coin. Are you fucking kidding me? That'd be great. Uh, kind of like a one a single a single piece of of currency. A, oh, a, a, that one, one, okay. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, As you were saying, Rob. Uh, so there's one other component of this that I should I should mention. So again, it's a very grindy game. Right. And there is the like there's grinding your guys up for XP and like, you know, getting getting more levels on them. But you know, really you're gonna run into very quickly the fact that like you need better ships. You need ships that are bigger, mm-hmm. that therefore have more stores so that you can sail further. But then bigger holds, because uh supplies and cargo are intention. Uh, so it's like you can, you know, you can have a 50 50 split, but you might discover that it's, it's certainly safer to play it where you've loaded up on supplies, uh, and are running a short hold, especially early in the game. But so you're like, where do I go to buy a bigger ship, a better ship? There are ports that have, (laughs) there are Costco ports that have like better (laughs) selection and better prices, but the real thing uh, that you're going to be grinding is the ports themselves, because as you trade and as you bring them goods and like help their economy prosper, mm-hmm. the port techs up and also grows in population. So it becomes a more enticing market, mm. but also develops a tech level that will support like more advanced goods. And so you will be grinding up those so that you can have a place you can go to to be like, make me a man of war. But that's also a long ways off. And so you're like, how many fucking times do I have to do this trade route to like fuel up these two ports? And the answer is way more than you want to. Would you like this game more if it was a spreadsheet? Like, like if you did not have to control the ships moving around and you just click next turn and you see your profits go up in the city and you click next turn and then you're like, great, I'm looking at the next turn and in between I'm going to talk to my buddy Eric over in the tavern. He and I are going to have a chat. We're going to have a little visual novel scene and then I'm going to click next turn and then, you know, the profits are going to go up. Sailing arrow manager. Yes, exactly. So funny enough, uh, that game exists. Uh, there's a game called Patrician. Uh, that's basically that it's like the Hanseatic league in mm-hmm. uh, Germany where it's like, you don't run the ships. You just set the trade routes and like have them go around the Baltic, uh, like, like trading stuff. And you, you can invest in warehouses. And as you expand, you start uh, building your own goods to, to bring mm-hmm. to market as well. Cause like uh, there's just not enough supply out there uh, for some of your prize goods. So those games exist. Um, and in some ways I would enjoy them more, but I think fundamentally, uh, I think what sailing era, like it's, it's again, working from the Sid Meier's pirates model. That's a venerable model. It's pretty sturdy. It's like, there's a little bit of like fun ship to ship combat. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a fun little like trading game. There's like, uh, going on adventures with your buddies and a little bit of romance, but the prop like Sid Meier's pirates, all those little like 
all those little loops, all those little like gameplay segments work pretty well. They're they're pretty fun. And here, all of them are like at best kind of fun, but also kind of wretched. Like combat, I think this is like this is where I knew like this like me and this game, it's just not gonna work out. You know, things have gotta be pretty messed up for me not to love going broadside to broadside, yard arm to yard arm. Right. Uh, with a gang of pirates or oh oh my goodness to to get to to turn against the wind and rake across their bow uh oh the word cloud is there anything better than that uh and you can do that in this game it just sucks (laughs) like like your your ships are like just spinning around like little tops as you are like it's almost like twin stick shooter time as you're like uh trying to whip the ship around and bring your little like broadside cannon in line with them you've seen this mechanic and a ton of stuff like the total Mm -hmm. war games did this but here it's like very arcadey but also it takes a million years like you will be in turning fights you'll just be spinning your ship in a circle with the other ship for like ages just like pressing right trigger as soon as your guns load mm-hmm. and you just keep doing that and you kill that ship and it's like great there's four more pirate ships for you to do and they can't they're they're badly captain they're not going to really lay a glove on you but you just got to keep doing it uh, speaking of piracy how much of a scoundrel are you being rob like is is this the kind of game where being a scoundrel will help you economically at the onset oh. or are you no, Ren, this is Let's no? Be Cops of the High Seas. Okay, cool. I don't know if this is true in every playthrough, but it certainly feels like the mechanics are there to support this and not being a scoundrel because, okay, my character, the thing that intrigued me the most was like uh, the 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 Arab pearl diver starting in like the, the Indian Ocean. Like, I don't know much about this, this era or part of the world uh, as much. So I was like, this is going to be mm-hmm. kind of a cool place to be, right? It's the, it's the, it's the part of like the, the trade routes of the Renaissance that don't get discussed as much when it mm-hmm. comes to like uh, what's happening in Europe, for instance, what happens at the outset is uh, your, your dude has led his, his uh, like clan of pearl divers to like a treasure on behalf of people he thinks are like merchants, like a, mm-hmm. a, he's part of an expedition and the minute they bring up the treasure, uh, and they really should have seen this coming because these are the most sketch looking merchants possible. Right. Like it's like these are this is <laughs> evidently pirates, like right. weedy little mustaches, uh, you know, you know, like squinty little eyes, like just like looking like real shifty, like they're up to no good. The minute you're up there, like we got the treasure, they're like, <laughs> we're gonna kill you all. And they do. They kill right. all your friends. Uh, by the way, it's visual novel style. So what you see is little like 2d portraits of your characters and then the screen goes black and you hear you see like a little like white flash across the screen like a little yes, sword flash, the and then they're just dead you hear so a, it's ah! that style yeah exactly mm-hmm. so your character's like oh i'm gonna i hate pirates i'm gonna get them and so for the rest of the game your character's like uh primary motivation is to find and kill this pirate fleet which is all well and good like more power to you i would do the same but all more mecha- all the mechanics are like go find pirates and kill them go find smugglers and kill them there's not a lot of like you know hoist the black sail and right. uh like here's a here's a group of merchantmen that you can that you can storm 
that doesn't seem to be something a game is is supporting really it is more like if you want to go like fight and like capture ships uh it's because they're always criminals right and it even extends to like your character being kind of obnoxious goody two-shoes like where where like a, a local governor is like uh you know thank you for all your help uh you know, we have a huge bounty reward uh, for 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 these pirates. Your character is like, no. Helping the port rid itself of the scourge of piracy is reward enough for me. <sighs> and you don't get paid. Wow. Like that. that now, that's a story event. That's not <laughs> that, like that doesn't happen. It's not like you're routinely training contracts and being like, please keep your money. But right. in that moment, it was like, oh, wow. The politics of this this little moment are certainly right. interesting. Uh, because yeah, it's, it's this guy being like, no, no, no. Killing pirates is its own reward. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here to serve the community, uh, by, by summarily executing pirates. Ignore my trade umpire over there. I would never secure the bag like this. Excuse, I could, I could never. (laughs) Please, please ignore what I'm buying and selling and who that is affecting. Yeah. And that, and that's the other, that's, that's the other thing you're doing too, is, is a lot of like, whipping around trying to find uh okay this good is on sale for like 50 percent of its like uh mean price across all markets i'm going to take it to the place where i know it's inflated and the prices shift over time but it's a lot of that uh and so it's like there's a ton of systems in it but in all the little loops you can play there's no real fun to be had with any of them and mm-hmm. like that's kind of what's killing me it's like it the theory of this is kind of like this will accrue like the design will accrue up to a certain level of fun. And it almost does. Uh, Cause it's like a pretty well presented game, but also then you stop and think like, am I having fun doing any part of this? And the answer is no. Like it even extends to, I didn't get into it. Cause it's it, like, it's the worst part of the game. You can go on land expeditions where you have your characters go out across a hex grid board to like explore the land to find like buried treasure and shit. And even there, like basically what you're up against is how rapidly your supplies deplete and you just go around these little, like these little grids and you're like, let's search here and maybe you'll dig up like a cool tiny treasure. And that's it. That's, that's how that entire system works. Uh, it's a, it's a lot of fuss. And then you get like two minutes, five minutes of adventuring. And mostly it is uh, something it's like a way more, like planet scanning in Mass Effect, but with right. like ten times the friction. Christ. And is is the, I assume the friction is also textureless. It's not like textured friction where you're like, oh hell yeah, I love this friction. It's always just like these are seventeen menus when it could have been three. It, they try to put a little like texture on it where it's like, um, you know, oh no, someone stole, uh, sneaked into camp last night and stole a bunch of our supplies. That's it. It's mm. like now you can imagine like, ah, the camp was not secure. But no, there's no there's there's no real sense of like dreadful uh, having real adventures um, on land. So, you know, it's I, I was kind of, you know, this was a code that showed up a couple weeks ago and it very much like looks like my kind of shit. And I think. It's not so very far off from being that, but it it does feel like kind of hopelessly compromised by the fact that like none of these systems really saying and i think you know fundamentally sailing your ship around in these games and fighting your ship in games like this that has to be fun that has to be like engaging and it isn't 
and so once once the game is up there, uh, there there's not a lot left for me. Uh, so that's that is uh, sad to say, sailing era. Mm-hmm. And yet, maybe I've still had a better time than some of us here. I don't know, Patrick. <laughs> Welcome back to oh, Fuck Vibes Friday. <laughs> so you're a big Rick and Morty guy. Fuck you. <laughs> No, cut, cut that out of the box. That's not true. That's slander. I'm so suing. Wow. So, I, by the way, I have never felt so vindicated. Thought the first two seasons were all right. I never felt so. I I never got into that show because like the fandom got weird like almost immediately. And we talked like, about this. It, yeah. it was around the, the era of the the, the uh, Szechuan sauce incident is where where I fell off. <laughs> right, uh, Rick and Morty. Right. It's like it? I like I need to stay away from this. Yeah. As someone who was in high school when that show started. Oh no. It was Rob. It was not. Good. Oh no, Rob. It was. It was. Was it dark. just like people just doing extended Rick and Morty bits at lunch, it just was, all the fucking time? It was dark. It was a dark era for me because I just had to watch as friends were like, I, I had the you have to have a really high IQ to like the show conversation. I was like, I think I might find different friends for a little bit. Actually, <laughs> I, I, I might move to a different city and change yeah. my entire life later. Yeah truly attracted the the worst people for the show that anyway i don't need to get there's no yeah i finished i finished i've i finished so yeah high in life a game i talked about briefly um uh back in december i think uh, right before uh we went on a bit of a, a break uh before forespoken and dead space come out uh i was like all right time to clean up some games right i i finished uh, uh plague tale requiem which we'll, we'll talk about uh next week uh and I also uh, finished High in Life because I wanted to see, I don't know, like what does a 10-hour comedy game do with its 10 hours? And like literally hit credits, take a big sip of coffee, and then <laughs> domestic Fuck. abuse allegations against Justin Roiland hit. And I'm like, well, time to hit delete on the questions I just got back from Squanch Games on something I was thinking <sighs> about regarding this game because it's just the creative director talking about Justin a whole lot. So not going to write that article. <laughs> like, well, glad I spent 10 hours playing this game that really didn't do a whole lot with this 10 hours, really could have stopped after two hours and kind of got the whole vibe of what they were going for. So that eight hours, like, whoosh, like flushed down the tank. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, read, reading all that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's disgusting. Like what, what he's been alleged. And well, yeah, there's the, uh, there's the charges, uh, for domestic violence. But since then also there's been just a lot of things shared online with like a pattern of yes. uh, inappropriate direct messages, uh, with fans, uh, yeah. uh like, like allegedly underage fans. Um, yeah, and, the, and, and then, also, you know, and you've got, uh, and the thing that makes it complicated is, is, you know, Shows like Rick and Morty get a lot of attention because Justin Roiland does the voices of the main mm-hmm. characters, right? But like those right. are made by big staffs, people. Animation is like a yeah. very tight knit community in which it's hard to you. You're excited when you get to ride the coattails of a show like this because you know, like animation doesn't uh, frequently get renewed. It's it, it is a difficult business to be in. And you know, I saw one of the folks that works at Squanch Games, which is the developer behind High on Life. I think is like one of the, uh, the the lead creatives are there. It was like, this sucks. I hate being associated with him. I work here. And that's, you know, that's also a tough spot to be in where you know, I looked at the article that I was thinking of writing, which was just like a, this game's got, has several movies that you can watch. And one of them is a, a um, this like really, this really famous B movie about a T-Rex um, that is awful. And I, anyways, just to be a story about like, why do we like B movies? And I was like, well, 
you know, this person isn't Justin Roiland, but they talked a lot about Justin's influence and why this movie was picked and why they put it in there. And it's like, it just doesn't feel appropriate to write about this, even though this person themselves, and I can't speak to the culture of the studio, right? Like yeah. right. maybe we'll find out that there are, there are other things going on, but like absent evidence of that, it's like, cool, I'm going to spike a story that doesn't, it involves that person, but isn't even interviewing that person because what just happened here feels as though it's just not even worth talking about anymore. Um, and it's just, it's just a weird, weird spot. Well, to the whole bitch of the game was, had, it was inseparable hmm. from, it is because of the voices, like, right? Yeah. Like, like, my understanding is they're writing this game feels as though it is written in the the voice of Justin Roiland. Like they're they're sort of Well, they do uh, call him affects. the man of a voice. <laughs> uh but that most of the writing wasn't done by him. And you know, because it's people writing for this like what has become like the voice of like a Justin Roiland character. And so even if let's say let's let's take that as truth, right? Is that like the game is primarily written not by Justin Roiland. Well, his voices are like front and center. He's right. not all the voices, but he's one of the main voices. And you can't separate the game from that. And so how do I talk about the game? So all I can do is then talk talk about talking about the game, which is what I'm doing here as a way to talk about the game, but also like <laughs> like acknowledging like, yes, these are made by big studios. And like, this is what happens when someone that has that much ego and fame and image attached to it. This is the trickle effect it has when an allegation like this surfaces because then it makes it impossible to discuss, appreciate or unpack any of the work anyone else has done uh, on this, uh, on this game. And so it's weird. And again, not even a game that I came out of it, particularly being like, Hey, despite what was like alleged here, we really need to unpack. It's like, no, like it's an interesting comedic experiment. I hope they make another one. I hope Justin Roiland gets kicked out of the studio uh, and that the team gets another chance to, to do something here. Um, the knife is the best character in the game, and he gets a couple of lines early and then just disappears. You know, do that, make a whole game about knifey. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's on Game Pass. I, you know, I don't blame anyone for not wanting to touch it with a 10 foot pole because of what happened. And I guess what I'd tell you is you could just like watch a video when you've like the playing part is not you're you're good. You're good. And that's high on life. <laughs> Tammy and the T-Rex. That is the beat. I was trying to grasp for the. The movie. It is a movie that was shot in a couple of days because someone knew someone that had access to an animatronic T Rex, and they shot. That's, an that's extreme, the best reason. Wow. Yes, they shot an extremely gory B movie, but then they cut out all the gory parts and just released it as a kids' film, and it was awful. And then the gory <laughs> cut was buried. So the, the 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 kids' version was released in America. The gory cut was released abroad, and. But the gory cut remained like under lock and key for a number of years until um, a vinegar syndrome, which is one of the uh, companies that puts out a lot of like forgotten B movies and uh, kind of cult classics, especially in the, the horror genre, uh, resurrected it and put out a, a fucking 4K copy of it. I haven't watched it, but I've heard it is really bad. But in a way that if you sat around with your friends, you might you might have a good time uh, with it. And you can just watch that whole movie uh, in in the game, which is that's interesting. And that's hmm. so there, there you go. That's, that was the article I was going to write was why that was interesting. Congrats. You got it. You got the gist <laughs> of it. Oh. Uh, I guess one of the I'm playing around with, uh, when I turn on my TV, it gives little updates, right? Like it tells you little messages like, Hey, this mm. app was just, just came out for, for LG TVs. Mm. Uh, recently I got the update that like 
very sorry to tell you that your Google Stadia will not be uh, continuing. <laughs> uh, you're going to lose access to Google it had Stadia. Native, do, you have, do you get GeForce Now through the... They, that ELG? was the thing. Like a day later, they're like, but wait, hey, we're announcing GeForce Now uh, through through LG. Wait, so Stadia went down, down? Yeah. Damn yesterday. it. We missed our window. Yeah, we didn't have a chance to... Yeah, we didn't <laughs> have a chance to play the... See what it was like to... Yeah. I was kind of weird. Like, Stadia actually... Well... The people who work on Stadia seem to handle that with a lot of grace. Like they released uh, a blue a Bluetooth update to the Stadia controller. That controller is not awesome, but it's totally competent as like a controller you could connect to your computer. And it was about to be relegated to a piece of plastic that yeah. couldn't be used for anything else. And so they did like the right thing, which was like, hey, we've updated this. You can connect it to whatever device takes a Bluetooth input and you want an Xbox style controller. And then they also released a like internal like kind of dinky little game they made in order to uh, test the Stadia tech. I don't know, it just seemed like it was a sad situation for a bunch of people who probably worked really hard to, again, watch something get squandered by executive level awful decisions. Like Stadia as a uh, like piece of technology was a wild success. Stadia as a, you know, a brand exercise as a initiative was a complete failure. And so actually I, it would have been nice to have, have been bore witness to that in real time because it actually seemed kind of cool how mm. they how they went out uh, in the end of it. So uh, I am here to report that at least with like on my TV, I'm not sure GeForce Now is all the way there. And I think it's a, it's a couple things. One is uh, is your TV hardwired? <laughs> no. Also, is your TV is this I a your TV is too nice situation? <laughs> But I, but, but, but it, it, so this is the thing. I remember, uh, Rob, you were actually sitting next to me one time when I was doing, I think I was playing The Witcher yeah. on GeForce Now. For, I don't know what story I was writing. And we were both like fairly impressed with what it looks like yeah. on my laptop on Vice's notoriously terrible, mm. terrible mm. internet. Has not gotten any better. <laughs> Still bad. Uh, but that is like on a laptop, you know, where like it can be a little crunchy. And it's and it's all right. You're kind of you're just kind of remarking it how that it works and it works as well as it does. And that was a couple of years back. You have a very nice TV that is going to expose. Like when Kato says, "Is it hardwired?" I'm like, "Well, does it even matter if it's hardwired if you're playing it at a fidelity that Rob right. has access sure. to versus like on I don't know like a 27 inch monitor well, that you're like have a little distance from or an iPad." And I will say so like. God, I would say like, uh, you know, if I watch a movie on like Disney Plus, for instance, like mm. that can like that picture can rival a a Blu-ray. It will surpass a Blu-ray. It can rival a, a 4K Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, streaming a game is a different thing, obviously. Um, but the other thing that I discovered is that like there's a 3080 upgrade package that I don't have for GeForce now where it's like you have to like buy up to a different tier of GeForce now, I guess, to get like what was then the latest and greatest like hardware you're running off of. So they're they're 3080s. Uh, that's your 3080 mode that like gives you like now you can really be on the big rigs. But so you get the what? What do you do? You know what you're running off of otherwise? Like, does it tell you what your machine specs well, are? Well, something that's something that might be considerably less capable. Let's say that, <laughs> sure. Rob, uh, Rob, 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 Rob. You just gotta you just gotta send a note to someone. Oh, I know. Just get your yeah, I I did that ages ago. Like, I'm on the ultimate. <laughs> I'm I, on the ultimate path. I'm a man of the people. 
Like, uh, oh, I am no, you're not. This you. is service no, you journalism. Just, you just haven't sent the email. <laughs> you just haven't sent the email. I'm a man of the people. I'm a man of Rob, the people. Rob Zachney, uh, to be fair, is known as a river to his people. And I'm and and also a warden uh, for for my people. I'm here to 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 tell them of the the dangers that lurk. Mm-hmm. And the answer is like, if you're not in the 3080 tier, I'm not sure this is going to really be super <laughs> or uh, flattering to your to your TV because I was like, uh, I fired up like Dying Light too, uh, which even my computer struggled with. Um, yeah. So I was like, let's let's see how this goes. And I can only tell you, it kind of looks fucked up. For one, <laughs> like it was, there was a weird fisheye effect going <laughs> Do you on. Have any any feedback for the GeForce Now team? Kind of look fucked up. There was um, like a weird fisheye effect. It's kind of scrumbly. I was like looking around the room, like like when close up to things, I was like, the bed is like bending across the screen. Weird. And but the, the bigger issue is like, it didn't seem to know that I had a 4K TV, so it was like. We're just going to run this at a uh, 1080. That cool. And I was like, things tend to not look Chill. amazing at 1080 on this screen, but sure. Let's, let's give it a shot. Didn't, didn't look great. Um, and in the other issue obviously being, well, there's two things. Not every game that works on GeForce now works on GeForce now through the TV app, uh, oddly enough. Um, but the other thing is that, and this is just more like TV specific. <laughs> so, it doesn't recognize when I plug in my Xbox Elite controller at all. It's like, I have no idea what that is. It doesn't even register that the USB device was plugged in. It does support an Xbox 360 controller. <laughs> this is, this, so this is a device-specific mm. issue. Like this for, I remember, it's like, I was trying to use an Elite on, like, my iPad. I think to play Stadia or something like that. Yeah. And it just, the OS didn't. It just couldn't see it. It had to be the elite is not seen as a 360 controller. It has to be flagged by the device as an elite. And you just want to show it to your device where it's like, no, see, this is the same goddamn thing. You know this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This became a huge problem in the fighting game community because basically the new PS5, uh, despite using all of the same architecture uh, as the PS4, just bricked a ton of controllers. Let me tell you this. uh, My TV, which was like, I have no idea what this strange Xbox device is. Uh, totally knew what the PlayStation Five controller was. Uh, it was like love it's it. Buddy. Uh, let me just oh, let me just fire yeah. this up right now. Uh, so so that's how I was playing things. But it was it was an odd little experience. Uh, I was you know I was kind of checking out to see if this could be another. You know how sometimes it's all about being as lazy as humanly possible, mm-hmm. right? Like sometimes you're sitting there and you're like, I'd like to play a game on my computer, but that requires transferring the, the computer over to the receiver and having it go through the t- through to the TV. You got to do the whole like display settings thing. And there's like 20 things you got to sort out afterwards because like your fonts look all fucked up half the time. All that. And sometimes you're just like, or what if I could just click a little button on my TV and say like, take me to the games, please. And, and, you're, and that you're okay with it being like, that you know like there's friction like it's not going to look as nice if if i'd done all the yeah. other stuff to just connect it to the display but can i just play the game 80 percent of what i yeah. would have gotten otherwise yeah not and i would say like not quite there which is funny because like when i'm playing on my laptop and maybe it is just because the screen is so much smaller just like covers all those issues mm-hmm. uh like you know when i play on my laptop i'm like holy shit like g4 like game streaming totally works it's, it's amazing this is uh this is a revelation here on my tv it's like 
this is kind of, uh, you know, some of the concerns people have about this. You I, should, you should, you have the internet bandwidth. You should see about getting NVIDIA to flag that on your account. Cause I'd be curious if, if whatever that extra tier is, I haven't messed with it since they yeah. had the extra tier. I actually was uh, one night wanted to play was, my kids are upstairs. It's like, well, maybe I'll play 20 minutes of a plague tale. And they had just <laughs> removed support for it because they were like redoing their yeah. ray tracing driver or something or other. Um, so I, I, I and didn't end up doing it, but I was going to play it on an iPad, which is like a perfect size display to cover up whatever issues it, it might have. And so you, you represent a really interesting scenario in which you are fairly close to your TV as well. And so it's like everything is gets exaggerated along the margins of what streaming as a tech is can accomplish, but there are fidelity issues that it is still, you know, working through. Um, yeah. So I'd be well, curious be if, if just the media computer and running it at even 1440p yeah. would solve some of your issues. One that app is like, I think literally a couple weeks old, like it, like mm-hmm. to a degree, I know that there's a lot of common architecture between various like apps that pop up on like TVs, but uh, yeah, it is, it is a fairly recent addition. Uh, but it, like, I can sort of see the promise there, right? Like I watch a lot of stuff through my TV apps because it is like totally frictionless. Like it's like I'm going to hop over to Disney to see what's there. Okay, I want to hop over to Hulu. And it's all just like right there at the, you know, the the bottom of the interface. And so I like that. And the idea of being able to access a bunch of games through that has its appeal. Um, But it does feel like right now that's still that is still a little ways off uh, because a lot of times I think there's an entire school of thought that says in the end game streaming is going to be how most people end up playing games in the future. That's, that's where this is. That's where this is headed. Um, every, every time I check in on this, I'm like, on the one hand, kind of impressed with like, wow, it's come really far. And on the other hand, it's still a long ways off from like what the box is on your, uh, you know, uh, media console can, can do. I think there's a reason that Microsoft hasn't made a huge push yet to put out, like, hey, actually, you don't need to own an Xbox. You can just stream it because when you end up flirting with that tech, you realize it's just not. It's interesting and has its use cases, especially as uh, small as like, hey, I don't want to go out of my office. Can I just play right. it on a laptop upstairs? It can do that and and you'll be fine. But as to being a replacement for local hardware, there's a good chance you would just sour a lot of people because they get exactly what you're talking about. Nobody, Rob might run an Ethernet jack to his TV uh, to make that better. You know who's not going to do that? Everyone else. And and so that's the problem that it runs into is, man, that router is probably downstairs and it's going to bounce around up through a bunch of shitty wall uh, material to make it to a TV. And who knows how good the Wi-Fi chip is even, in, like it wasn't meant to do this. It wasn't meant to pull in this much data necessarily. So there's all these complications that it would, all it takes is one bad experience with the technology to go, yeah, that's not actually how I want to play these games. Yeah. Uh, so let's see before we, before we call it here, let's, let's take a little dip into the old question bucket. Uh, remember you can send us all your questions at gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. Uh, so tying back to stuff we were talking about earlier in the show, uh, Ian writes, Hey there, waypoint, regular people packers. In discussing the Microsoft Blizzard merger, Robin Patrick brought up Amazon Basics tactics of the little robot that sees when something is selling and finds a supplier to undercut them. It was a bit of a tangent in the ongoing SEC discussion, but allow me to tangent a bit further. 
to show how shitty the situation is from the standpoint of standpoint of a small business that used to do a fair bit of trading on Amazon. It's sadly much more insidious than a flag that shows up when something is selling in large volume. If you want to sell on FBA Prime fulfilled by Amazon rather than seller fulfilled Prime, you have to ship to Amazon's warehouses with manifests and everything prepacked and labeled with Amazon SKUs. Once you get past a certain number of sales, you might have to something shipping approaching a container load of stock. In that case, Amazon requires you to have it sent directly from the factory to their fulfillment centers with full stock manifests and point of origin documents. That means if you've spent time developing and sourcing a product, marketing and finding a use case for it, all Amazon needs to do is go, oh, these are selling by the container load and we know exactly where they come from. And it's essentially a turnkey product immediately ready for Amazon Basics. That's why you see so many things popping up as Amazon Basics versions uh, these days. The existing sellers are doing all the work for them and they're just using their platform monopoly to pluck them when they are ripe. Truly fuck capitalism. Go home, have a holiday time, buy presents from small businesses where possible. That had, I had always imagined that on some level there was like a little bit of like a little bit of like detective work Amazon was doing to like backtrace where this stuff was coming from. I did not realize that past a certain point, you just have to sell, you just have to ship the thing to Amazon with all the information they need to just go to your factory and create their own product line from the people who, who started making the thing for you. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Bad. Why would you invest in doing any of this? Because <laughs> that's where so many people buy bullshit, you know? Like I know. There's a big uh what's it called? Install base, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like No, yeah, it's where the customers are for sure. Uh but yeah, that is that is such a like the 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 knowledge that the minute you're having your breakthrough success and you're yeah. like, now we're selling in volume. That is also the moment you basically hand over the product mm-hmm. uh, for someone to to copy and clone. That that sucks. Yeah. Uh, Sebastian from Minnesota writes, hi, Waypoint crew. After recently finishing Narrative Banger Pentiment, it's gotten me to rethink my previous thought of general European history as being a bit boring. Imagine this partly due to American education, where only the very broadest strokes were taught. My question, has a video game ever shifted your opinion on a particular setting? On the flip side, is there a setting you'd love for a video game to do that to you? Thanks, Sebastian from Minnesota. I think that a lot of very high fantasy fails for me pretty frequently. Um, like like traditional like high fantasy like Lord of the Rings style like oh, 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 swords and swords sword and board fantasy. <laughs> that is the sound of uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, yes. oh, oh I'm Aragorn. Um, <laughs> sword <laughs> of all the people. <laughs> actually, actually, it, that is a, the, that is the most what he sounds like. He's though. a like goofy love guy. for Bigo, but <laughs> he does sound like a Muppet in places. Aragorn is he also runs like a Muppet. I was watching a clip of like an, an edit of Aragorn running the other yeah. day. He does run like a Muppet. I, I like that funny little man. Um, that aside, gonna, I just I thought you were gonna say Tom Bombadil. I'm Tom Bombadil. <laughs> 
massive fan, like a really high fantasy didn't usually land for me, but Pillars of Eternity has really brought me around. Like Pillars of Eternity is doing stuff with gods and faith that is just like, all right, cool. I now have the I now have the key to finding what I'm interested in so much high fantasy, which is like looking how it understands faith. And now I'm I'm, I'm fully bought in. I'm I'm fantasy pilled. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting because that's also the you know I mentioned before that's the that's the kind of this high fantasy is like the setting I'm least interested in you know so getting into games like Skyrim which I quite liked at the time was just ugh elves okay wow <laughs> uh, and I like Lord of the Rings but it's like again Lord of the Rings is you know excellent incredible but broadly speaking like. Get the pointy ears out of my face. I'm good. Uh, and Whoa, dragons, bro, like, you wow, can't Patrick say that. Wow, Patrick's racist. That's what the fuck, Wow, you yeah, guys damn. in The Witcher who were like, this is, ever since the conjunction oh. of the spheres, we had to deal with all these fucking elves. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. <sighs> but I'm sorry. I just, you know. But like, had, did, I, but did I, this I thing turn you I on feel. that? Where like, now you're like, no, ooh, pointy no. ears. It's all, it's all exceptions to the rule. Mm. Um, like, it didn't, it, there's, it didn't make me want to seek seek it out so it's like you know then something like the witcher comes along it's like okay the witcher broke through as well but it's they never quite turned me on the setting it more just proved to me that there are stories i could find that were interesting in in that setting but uh never quite got me all the way towards wanting to seek it out Hmm? despite the setting basically yes correct uh i mean i can still like it but it's it's not as though i'm like having a bad time in it it's just for for other people, it's like, okay, I would love to read a billion stories that kind of build off the same sort of archetype. It's like, eh. Right. No. Is Dishonored steampunk? Yeah. Sure. Good steampunk? Is that what you're like? Are, yeah, that's you the, like I, I was like, can I like Dishonored? I was still what my, dislike steampunk? The, the yes, I you thinking, can. Because I, I, like I like sci fi. I like uh generally just like a lot of i'm I'm into like a lot of the things that are in science fiction and so, fantasy something doesn't stop being steampunk the minutes of banger that's but, that would be my take well no well, well my my thought was like i've never gotten into steampunk not that i really want to but if a game could turn me on that setting that'd be interesting and then i was like wait a second i think i have played a game that is good <laughs> that is am i the steampunk, steampunk. I, I don't know what uh, there's something uh, I think I guess that yeah, it would, my answer would then be instead of wishing for that to exist, like Dishonored would be the one, but I forgot because I don't know, maybe it doesn't read as as steampunky as other things uh, that I associate with steampunk do. But I, no, I mean like there's a clockwork shit going on. Yeah, like yeah, it's it's steampunk. I don't know. I think the difficult thing about that one is there's just like not much good steampunk shit, right? right. Like, like right. so much, like uh, there's a lot of things that are steampunk that are not held back by being <laughs> steampunk versus like with Patrick, there's plenty of interesting stories, but like previously for Patrick, they were held back by being high fantasy. Steampunk isn't holding much back. Let's, 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 <laughs> wow. let's, let's be honest with wow. ourselves. I'm burying elves out here, burying <laughs> steampunk fans. Just the cancellations to waypoint plus are adding up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think there's a weird thing where something is like it's steampunk is all hell. Then you're the steampunk twins from that TikTok, uh, and it's like that's that's kind of the the, the vibe you get. TikTok. But like, if somebody's like really good, like a clock. <laughs> I'm uh, sick and I'm talk like a clock. 
But if something's like good, we're like, oh, it's kind of this cool like industrial revolution period, and there's all like this political intrigue, mm. and we're just gonna ignore all like the pipes and shit. Nice. Hell yes. Sorry, I just picked <laughs> that, up the Emily a, Caldwin beautiful, print sitting that is beautiful on my Emily Caldwin. Yeah, sitting on my desk because she is she is my queen. So I just wanted I just wanted this on the record. I think maybe it's just some of the things were like a step too technologically advanced to, for me to read it as steampunk. There's not enough steam coming out of the, the machines in that game, I feel like, you know? Like, I like think there's, the like, thing, there's electricity, basically, is the issue. I, I think that the thing that, like, makes Dishonored land for me <laughs> is that, like... Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, is that, like, Dishonored has really good embellishments you know like dishonored has really really excellent like carvings and gravings and Mm -hmm. that's so much of what Mm -hmm. makes that aesthetic land for me is that like things don't just look like there isn't steam coming out of them they look ornate that is that is the thing is like oh that is a technical object that is a that is a physical thing what's the problem like the minute like you got victor antonov like like art directing the thing it becomes kind of cool right that's that's uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people trying to to tell it on themselves you're like i don't like steampunk at all i think it's shit but here's all the reasons i love dishonored i just you know, i don't like steampunk uh-uh it's ornate this is this is this is the, this is cool this is the cool stuff no, no no i didn't say that i didn't like steampunk mm-hmm. i said that a lot of things that are steampunk are bad and the steampunk mm-hmm. is not what is making them bad mm-hmm. uh I'm all, I was just laughing because I was thinking, like, I wouldn't have said that the Order 1886 is steampunk. I would have been like, that is steampunk. Rob. <laughs> no, Rob. No, I know. I know. Yeah, the blood, yeah, Bloodborne. No, Bloodborne's normal. The true spirit, the question with, like, the, the version of this question we're arriving on is, like, what settings do you just find abhorrent and yet you have fa- had games that have drawn you into them well and actually despite is every the fiber of your being saying i shouldn't like this but also a lot of settings are i think the thing is that we're finding is that we all like this setting it's just done poorly by a lot of things and so the bangers are like let's go <laughs> uh yeah I, I would say for me like it's it's a game i cite all the time but um you know, I guess it's like the closer you get to like real life steampunk, The Die Last Rob. Express, <laughs> uh, where like that actually like I got to that early. I've always been sort of someone interested in history, but The Last Express was what like a thing that I had the, my vision of history really like uh, totally bought in on the the idea of like sort of World War Two is the founding myth of of the modern age, and like The Last Express was the thing where it was like wow, like the world was really interesting and different. Uh, you know, before World War One, and then the the punchline of that game really is like everything that's happened across the 20th century to the point up to the point of the game's release is like almost like more readily understood through the lens of World War One uh, mm-hmm. than necessarily subsequent events, and so that really like transformed my interest uh, in history and and got me much more into this idea of like uh, the the Victorian into uh, you know early early days of world war one as being sort of a, a really fascinating pivotal point in history uh you know much more so than than some other places i've been interested in uh prior to that so that that's a game that like totally like changed what my interests were uh to to a large extent um much to my chagrin 
it's not like there's a ton of games that do cover that very much. <laughs> like, there's not like it, it's still kind of an outlier, but there you have it. Can I ask a question that spins off from this? Just yeah. just really quick. It, have you ever had a game that like didn't change your thoughts on a genre, but like changed something about your actual day to day life, whether it be introduced you to a hobby or like reshaped your understanding of the world or your schedule or, or, or something along those lines? Hmm. I'll have to ponder about that, but like I, I assume because you're asking it that there is one for you. I've just been thinking about it a lot recently uh, for uh, reasons I can talk about next week. And so I was just I was just <laughs> very curious. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. Hmm. That's an interesting question. I'd like to say that's true, but nothing immediately comes to mind. Um. I feel like I've answered this question hmm. tangentially before. I'm trying to remember what I said. I mean, there, there, there. You know, I, uh, my favorite game a couple of years ago was Ring Fit Adventure mm-hmm. because that was specifically a game that uh, I already exercise uh, quite a bit in different different ways. But what I really liked about Ring Fit Adventure was the ways it made me understand different parts about my body and got feedback about it, right? Like when you do a workout, Mm -hmm. that's just a video. Even if you're with like a trainer, like a trainer in a class, like you're not getting real time feedback about what's occurring in different parts of your body in, uh, and that game did. Uh, And I found that to be like really enlightening and interesting and is something that led, I got bored of ring fitted adventure. Eventually I ran kind of ran out of steam on, on how it structured itself. And so it fell out of my routine but it is what directly led me to doing uh, the high uh, high interval training, like the hits, um, in which you're using different parts of your body. Because I had someone that had always just ran. I was like, that's cool. Like, it's good for my weight. It's good for my heart. Um, I, I, I don't like doing it, but I'm good at doing it. And so I'll just do that. And Ring Fit sort of broadened my understanding of what exercise could and should be, especially as I get older. And right. that has been a permanent change. I... I don't run all that much when it gets cold, but I do like the hit workouts like tw- two or three times uh, a week um, through Apple Fitness. And so actually that, that okay, okay, I found it. That's I a found good example. Answer. Yeah, that's I a good answer. answer. Um, that, that introduced that style of exercise to me as being interesting and worthwhile and became a lasting change that mm-hmm. I still do to this day. I guess, you know, <clears throat> I mean, one reason why I, I, I gave last express my answer to the question is because like, I mean, I think since then there's scarcely a day that's gone by. that I don't think about something tangentially related to those like paths of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I do think a lot of my intellectual life since then has been informed by, if not necessarily this game, sort of the, the transformation of my interests uh, that it wrought. Um, and then probably, I don't know if it's like, you know, changed my habits necessarily in my life, but like uh, I started to become a real ridiculous, like into cars person because of like the Simbin GTR series where I was like, I just love driving these cars. I want mm-hmm. I want to tune them. I want to drive them. I like. And the funny thing was the uh, the series that I really got into uh, WRCC, I think something like that. Uh, it was, it's like the, this, the race car series where I think world touring car, uh, championship, uh, it's the series that is like not supercars. It's like tricked out 
Hondas and Renaults, like right. hatchbacks and such. Because there it was like, okay, here's what the sports car version of a car that I can relate to is like. And it's where I started to really get into this notion of uh, like that just driving well was cool and not necessarily like winning a uh, mission in a racing game, for instance. Right becomes a becomes a thing that I get really focused on. So that was that was sort of a minor minor transformation uh for sure. Uh I guess the the dark side of this question. <laughs> oh no. Hi crew. Ren's COVID romp through Pillars of Eternity got me to pick up the game again, but I remember why I stopped playing after 15 hours. I love my CRPGs. But I just can't get my head around real time with pause, which so many games like PoE use. Turn-based combat? Mm, perfection. Action RPG Diablo-like combat? Adrenaline fuel. But once I have to juggle a bunch of spells and abilities with action constantly unfolding all around me, my brain panics. I think I've gotten myself in the right place for now by having the auto-pause constantly trigger so I can have a turn-based-like experience that makes mm. it much more manageable. Enjoying the game and story, uh, so I'm hoping this fix works for me. I was wondering if you've come across game mechanics that you struggled with in genres or games that you otherwise loved and how you dealt or didn't with them. Fuck capitalism, punch Nazis, go home. Not to steal this person's answer, but like... It was real time with pause combat. I, I have not never been able to understand it or like even begin to grasp it until I played Pillars of Eternity and was like, oh, shit, not only do I am I starting to get this, I think I fucking love it. Like, I, I think Pillars of Eternity one and two have a terrific combat system. And once I got to two, there's an option to play that game turn based. And I looked at that option and I said, no, actually, I think I just really like the real time with pause and setting it to pause after mm. one of my characters complete completes a spell. Like that was the thing that did it for me was telling the game, Hey, whenever someone finishes an ability, just check in with me. And if I think everything's fine, I'll hit the X button and just like resume play. But like for the most part, do this. I also tend to not like the mechanic. Cause like, so because it's distinctive from a Wego system, which is turn based, but it's like simultaneous resolution. So you like plot out what the move is going right. to be. Then you hit end turn and everything unfolds simultaneously. Real time with pause. I think one issue I have with it is it's actually a lot of times my experience of it is the battles feel as chaotic and death ball-y as a lot of like early RTS games in some mm -hmm. ways. Uh, but then everything the decisions you are making are more oriented around like a, I go, you go turn-based system where it's like, it takes this long to get a spell off. It'll be, it'll, mm -hmm. it'll land here. And so the thing I tend not to like about it is that yes, you can pause the action, you can slow it down. But a lot of times where I see games using this, the action, whether or not you can pause it, the action doesn't feel coherent in the way that either a modern RTS or a turn-based system does. And a lot of times the resolution can feel really swingy where it's like you unpause and it's like something just like explodes and tons of characters like lose all their health. And now it's like, okay, I got to repause and like change completely what I'm doing. Gives a kind of a weird feeling to me. So one of the things that really helped me with like Pillars of Attorney, for example, was like changing, understanding that formations are really important mm -hmm. to real time with pause combat because like I was like, I was having that thing where like big swings were happening. I was getting fucked. And then I was like, wait a minute. 
what if I kept one of my tanks literally in the back line? Like, what if I had a tank that stood there with those people and it did not fuck with the fight until people were trying to backline us? And then suddenly, like, those swings stopped happening because I was better distributing my characters mm. and, like, actually, like, thinking through the tactics of a fight uh, in in a different and, like, really engaging way. Um, once I understood where the swings were coming from. So there's a lot of us now who are like, eh, I don't know about this real time of pause. We, we can come to grips with Pat, Patrick and I'm curious or Kato. Are there any mechanics where you're like, if, you know, you, you kombucha girl it a little bit, or you're just like, <laughs> if this isn't my game, I don't want it. Hmm. I didn't have, I couldn't think of a specific mechanic or like approach to game that came to mind that I find cards. I don't know. Yeah, cards. Like, like just cards. I'm like wow. the anti Kato. Yeah. In this regard, I need I need the game to earn uh, cards. And, I, and that's when they appear in games that otherwise, when we're getting like genre mashups, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to like I'm not asking a game that is a card game. It's like please don't be a card game. Like be what you need to be. Be what you want to be. That's fine. Um, but that you know that was you know it was like a game like Inscription kind of broke through that. So it was like oh shit, I can't imagine the most card of card games. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, but the, you know, that's the that's yeah. a case of like aesthetic and style doing well, a it's, whole it's lot. It's also completely woven around the cards in a way that like, I think I think what Patrick's like speaking to is a lot of games where it's like, you know, it's uh, are you are you just putting cards in here because they're fucking popular and like it's trendy to put cards in here? Like, there's um, a little bit like I'm I'm thinking like Patrick like Grifflands I think would be Kryptonite to Patrick where <laughs> it's like kind of a space frontier like uh it, adventure and it's, like, it's all card card driven. <sighs> Yeah, I need to go back and play more Grisslands. <laughs> fucking rules. <laughs> I don't know. Bad, bad action combat. I'm trying to think. Of- yeah, you can't just say. Uh, can't that's say like us. Not. We're doing the steampunk I thing again. Game I hate sucks. steampunk when it's bad, but when steampunk's good, uh, it's really good and stops being steampunk. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just like deeply. Uh, deeply uh from soft pilled but there is a certain like cadence to uh like real time action combat that can feel just close enough to souls combat that it and when it isn't it like trips me up uh, i had a lot of trouble getting into uh <laughs> getting into um uh jedi fallen order at first because the timing is is almost Dark Soulsy, but not quite. It's a little slower on the swing sometimes, for like what the type of sword that like I would associate a lightsaber to be closest to in Dark Souls, um, and like I I got over that and really ended up enjoying that game. But I don't know. I think it's when things huge, like close enough to that that my my muscle memory wants to do the things I do when I play Souls games and it doesn't work that I'm like ah. Um, uh, another one I, that came to mind was I hate MMO RPG combat. Like it's just the fucking worst. Like I just can't. And so then when there are games that I find that look interesting to me, and then I look at the combat structure and it's like, oh, that's just MMO style combat in like otherwise a single player RPG. No, I just <laughs> no, I just will I won't wow. touch it. No, like, imagine goodbye. sitting down with a new edition of D and D. 
and they've somehow turned D and D into a heart, uh, a uh, hot bar system. That was that was my <laughs> experience they, of D and D fourth. Yeah, I was gonna say that's what they did with four. <laughs> yep. I will note, Xenoblade is the good version of MMO combat. Like I, I think that the Xenoblade Chronicles games, these those those do hit. I but I did bounce off that. I tried the, the only one I played was the first one. I I played I don't know six or seven hours of mm. it and. Even that was, yeah. I, I, I grant you, it what seemed like a better version of it, but I I have such little interest in that style of combat that I don't know that there is yeah. a good one for me. Mm-hmm. It is just, I am wholly uninterested in playing a game that approaches combat like this. And like, right. a huge part of that is is, is, is because I, I prefer action-oriented gameplay. And it's like, no, you're just approximating action-oriented gameplay. Like, just let me do the thing instead of watching the um, or go all the way to turn base. Right. I love JRPGs, but there's something about the MMO style of like, I'm just going to watch this meter fill back up. Mm. I just, I I just can't. I'll (laughs) say this too. I cannot like, okay. Low key. Something like I will continue playing stuff on a, like on a low key level, it will turn me off. It is like the RPGification of everything. Where it's like you got a really simple, straightforward game where it's like go beat the shit out of some people. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, but now you got like five or six items that all have different stat effects. Mm-hmm. And now there's going to be bonuses and such on like now you're gonna have an old item build. But like for instance, like this is like th- the way this stuff pops up in Far Cry games, for instance. Mm. Where it's like or or Assassin's Creed, where it's just fundamentally like, man, I don't wanna be specking this dude. I just wanna I just want to do dive from the high place on the guy and go care and then like gut him go and that's what? it. And you know, the care. Yeah. I just yeah. want to make cool care? little assassin noises. And <laughs> instead it's like, well, you know, how upgraded is the scimitar you've been using, right? Like how upgraded right. is your shield? What are the, and it's like, that stuff is fine. And like, sure. It, you know, it can be kind of interesting to fuss with, but there's just like that stuff in a lot of games, I think, can lead to this feeling of um, I just kind of want to get onto it, get on with it. But I have to keep diverting into a pretty uninteresting math problem optimization game uh, to like play more efficiently, and then just keep doing that because the entire thing now is constructed around loot rather than what I was there for originally, which is probably some some form of like murder and mayhem. If the sword doesn't have a name, I don't want it. If I, if I'm in a game and that sword is not like Eric's cool blade, then like get that the fuck out of here. I don't care about long sword plus one. Yeah, well, no, long that's, sword plus ones for little bitches. I want Eric's blade. Please. And I think that's it's like the false <clears throat> progression system where it's right. like it's that thing you had, but now it's green, and it but does now, like number. <laughs> yeah, now and it does like point two damage uh, per second more. And it's like, man, I don't want to be thinking about 0.2 damage per second more. I do not like this is not this is not how I want to be living my life. This is this is my shout out to uh, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous and Pillars of Eternity Corner. Those games do loot. I actually think really well, because every every weapon I find that has a name is like, cool. If you put this on a character, it would completely change how they play. And I'm like, yeah, that's the good. Give me the sword that like heals you on kill the only sword in the game that heals you on kill let me let right. me let me play that but, build, right but those are also rpgs that have the stuff like 
like in their DNA. Right. Where right. so frequently it's like, you ever seen a Kalashnikov do this? It sets guys <laughs> on fire. And I'm like, why? It's like, just cause it does now. Destiny. But but if you wear <laughs> but if you wear the if you wear the fire grenade vest uh while you use this AK forty seven, it's going to set them on fire better and they'll burn hotter. Mm. And at that point, I'm just like, this is not again, this is this is not how I want my life to be. It's like uh you know what it is, Kyle, because you and I talk about this a lot. It's like budgeting software but for your character build <laughs> where it's like you got to go in and yeah. keep like verifying transactions and and, yeah. and that but it's like in order to kill guys well good news uh rob they're making loadouts in destiny 2 so you can just save those and then kind of forget about them because you don't have to mess around individual menus for each individual gear piece and you know setting all your loadouts that way it's great there's never been a better there's time there's never been a better time this is like destiny 2 <laughs> all right well i think uh i think that we know will... it ruin the kato hey great news everybody yeah, want to saved... become more like kato <laughs> play destiny 2 <laughs> we saved fucked vibes friday uh, <laughs> uh did, <laughs> we're... did we yeah <laughs> we're all gonna get really into destiny now and Hell builds yeah. you know because <laughs> I was saying I hated bells, but Kata's suggestion kind of feels like think about them a lot, but then maybe someday stop thinking about them for a while. Yeah. Think sure. about them for a while and then be like, okay, set it and forget it. Make a fucking turkey right. in that thing. Sorry, what? Set turkey, not turkey. What? He's sorry. <laughs> they are they trying are you starting to say turnkey? Turnkey. No, no. I no, thought no. you said turnkey. No, 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 no Kata no. said, said make a turkey. All right, no way. It then I am it. Lost. Set it the and forget it. The podcast is not ending. The podcast is not ending. <laughs> Set it and forget it. Do you right. know what, turkey? Turkey. That's what you can cook in one of those fuckers. Are are you sick? Okay. No. Do you, you know s- the set it and forget it infomercials? Are you saying that no. turkey? The Ronco rotisserie oven. Both refer to. Are you saying that we have somehow back linguistically backdoored our way (laughs) into turnkey also emerging from the same place as set it and forget? Are you fucking kidding me? No, no, no. I said set it and forget it, and it reminded me of Ronco, where that that is where that comes from. That is where that phrase comes from. So I said, make a fucking turkey in it. Like you could roast. There is actually a a really cool uh, chest armor piece that has like a fire in your chest in Destiny. So you could put a turkey in that probably and cook it. But uh, <laughs> in your chest cavity? Yeah, no, it's sick as fuck. Well, that's a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook, and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. At some point, I'm going to memorize what my Mastodon handle is and my and my Chost and start citing that. But for now, I'm on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Chost? Yeah, Chost. Yeah. Rob's a Choster. Are you a Choster? I'm, deact- you I'm deactivating my account. I'm never going to use it, but I'm deactivating it on principle right now. <laughs> It's, it's more of your abdomen, but look, there's a fire in there. You can put a turkey in there. I can put a turkey in there. I can cook a turkey in there. Patrick, where can people follow you? <laughs> at Patrick Puppet. Ren. You can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven. Uh, you can also check out what we published on Waypoint. Wait, did you skip me? You chose to use your time. <laughs> 
to talk about the turkey cooking. Uh, Hellfire heart. Sunfire furnace. It's got a furnace in there. I'm at a underscore Kato underscore Pierce on Twitter slash Kato on Chost. You know, you can always just drop that stuff in and post too, by the way. If oh, like sure. if you're just yeah. like, how dare you cut me off? You could just like drop that in. Yeah. Uh and and, and defy us and, and defy us that way. Uh so uh anyway, you can read everything we published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh I think because we skipped on Monday, uh it is worth checking out Ren's uh review of the new Fire Emblem which sounds like a hell of a tactics game. And maybe not what you're looking for if you were <laughs> real high on three houses, political, political drama. Uh, thanks to Waypoint Plus, we've been able to have a bunch of fun streams lately. Uh, Kato and Ren are dwarfing it up. Uh, and as you listen to this, if again, if you hurry, you can probably catch them continuing uh, to to build out a thriving uh, and successful dwarf community where nothing bad ever happens. We uh, only lost one dog. Was it a dog? Yeah, just no, one. Dog. We lost two dogs. Two dogs. Two dogs. A second dog. We had, <laughs> listen, a night creature came, and our two dogs decided to pick a fight. And I was like worried. I was like, "What the fuck is that?" And Ren said, "Don't worry about it." And now we've got two dead dogs. Well, as long as they well, don't reanimate. I mean, you know, I guess it's sad. No, we the didn't dog spawn dies, near a necromancer. That just happens. <laughs> no, we, anyway. didn't, we didn't start near a necromancer's tower. We're fine. The Waypoint Detective Agency uh, is is up and running. Uh, we are continuing to solve little mysteries. Uh, this week, I'm trying to figure out how to save money on my cable bill. And it turns out you can't. No. So just choose your poison. And take it. Our Waypoint Plus listeners uh, can look forward to us talking about the Green Knight uh, next week. We also yes. just uh, just discussed uh, Andre Tarkovsky's uh, nostalgia. I think that is hit that has hit the uh, main feed this week, right? Kevin? Yes, yes, on Wednesday, uh, yesterday. But we'll be we'll be tackling the Green Knight uh, coming up next. And if that sounds good or you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And if you want to show not just support, but zeal, go to waypointgeneralstore.com to buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. But is that the only place you can buy Waypoint merch? I don't know. <laughs> our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pearl Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. That's a real mystery, Rob. Yeah. I'm not sure we could even we can solve People are always asking this. For now, we're calling time on this week. We will talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.